0: Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not gonna get that man today. No. Because I'm gonna get him! We'll be right back.
1: The cat sat on the Edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful Northwest Pennsylvania, where I can get the microphone out of my face. Here, uh, I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us. Thank you so much for your belief and trust in us as we walk through this minefield of current events together. This minefield of uh, of news information. This this uh, if you've been watching the news today, of course you know we've you, got the uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee hearings. We've got uh, we, we are following that. We are following of course Gorsuch uh, nomination. Following all of the current events. That's one thing. And uh, by the time this time of night, you kind of get a little bit, a little bit weary of that, don't you? I, I suspect you, you you might. We've got a, a very interesting show for you planned uh, tonight. I just want to say, coming out of the gate, I want just to say thank you to Bill McIntosh of casa Media Live, uh, casa Media that is. I'm sorry uh, for all of his work, and I'm going to say thank you again later during the program. But uh, Bill. Bill McIntosh Okasa, Media, Ocaso O Media O C A S O Media. Uh thank you so much, Bill, for all of your uh, all of your work and also John Robertson as well. Thank you so much for what you do. Um, our our guest this segment. Is a guy that I've been. I really have been. I've been following. I've been stalking. Not really stalking. Not. not that's not really the right word. But I've been following his his uh, career. John Kelly. I, I don't know how many um, uh, of you know John Kelly. He is a very street smart profiler. If you watch any programs, I'm going to say Criminal Minds. That might come to mind. Well, uh, John Kelly is the street smart profiler. He's a renowned criminal profiler, addiction specialist, co-star of Investigation Discovery's Dark Minds. That's a television series. Have you seen it? Uh, he came to prominence after he was the very first person to connect the word addiction and uh, to, to the phrase, to, to the term serial killer in his 1992 paper, The Alcohol, Drug, and Serial Killer Connection. And as the first theorist to identify serial killing as an addiction, Kelly's profiling efforts were applied to the cases of the green river killer the Maine south woodsman charles Cullen angel of death case the molly bish uh, abduction and murder case. sadly uh, the 2001 anthrax killer case the atlantic city prostitute murders in the case of the long island serial, serial killer among others and i mean among others this guy's been around he knows what he's talking about he is uh been well, he's widely known for his interviews with infamous serial killers, Henry Lu- Henry Lee Lucas, John Wayne Gacy, and, uh, 13, the killer on the, the phone from the Dark Mind show. For those of you who watched that show, he's been on 48 hours, CBS 48 hours, four appearances on Headline News, uh, Jane Velez Mitchell's show, and, uh, he's been on the Today Show. I mean, I, his, his show appearances could fill a, an, uh, an entire segment. I'm not going to go through them all. Uh, Mr. Kelly is the founder of Stock Incorporated. That's an acronym for System to Apprehend Lethal Killers. And he's the executive director of Extra Care Health Services LLC. It's an outpatient uh, service, uh, outpatient counseling agency for, for addictive illnesses. It's a very interesting. This gentleman's on on the move, and I just want to say uh, thank you so much, John Kelly, for appearing with us. Thank you so much for your gift of time here for the next uh, uh, two segments in the next uh, 60 minutes and thank you for appearing on our show.
2: And I'd like to thank you uh, for having me. I mean, it's an honor and I want to thank your audience for letting me into their homes.
1: Well, I'll tell you something. You know, we have uh, 30 years I've been in in the investigative uh, uh, sector as a a licensed, multi-state licensed private investigator for the last 30 years working a lot of criminal cases, a lot of homicide cases and, um, Joe, my son, who co-host, he's been, uh, in the investigative business for about 10 years. So together we've got 40 years of experience. But the, the thing about the investigative business is, uh, when you talk about profiling, when you talk about criminal profiling that you do, you get a lot of, uh, We've got a lot of blowback. A lot of people saying, oh, that's just pseudoscience. But your, your information, your output, I've just noticed has been like on target. And, uh, I just, I, I, I'm amazed by what you do. I really am. So, but thank you for, for everything. But anyway,
2: where, where do you want to start? Because well, I, you know uh, certainly if there's anything uh, that you see that's priority or you just want me to go ahead but certainly if you see anything that jumps off the page to you uh, please feel free to just throw it on out there sure well
1: let me let me start by asking you this well oh, Joe come on come on board here uh, I, I my bet sorry it's great to be here uh, again John Kelly is our is our guest
3: a uh, former FBI profiler and uh, just a quick note. up, up.
2: Hi, private, private. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs>
3: I'm sorry. Um, okay. And just a quick note for those of you who um, might have missed yesterday, we were we hosted the Common Sense Show uh, for Dave Hodges. Check that out if you get a chance. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a very interesting show. The website is stockinc.com. S-T-A-L-K-I-N-C. dot com. Um, and, and Check that out. Um, so go ahead,
1: and Well, yeah, know. I just want to ask you, how did you get in, into this, uh, into the profiling? Because many people, that's the first question people will ask, I'm sure, ask of you.
2: Yeah, I. what happened was I was um, going for a degree in social work and uh, addiction, uh, addictive illness. I'm an addiction specialist and a uh, forensic social worker, and... While I was focusing on addictions and realizing uh, the different clients I was seeing the different families I was seeing identifying uh, the tolerance to their drug of choice uh, which varied in many many cases, uh, my wife said to me, "Hey you know we need to, we need to take a vacation here you know I mean uh, let's go and let's go to Canada and tour Canada." I'm not really a big reader but I'm a big researcher if you know what I mean. Um if I get into research I can't stop. I'm kind of obsessed with that. But on the way to Canada, we were taking the train out of New York and I felt that be uh I should have something to read because it's a pretty long train ride. So I I saw this book on a Canadian serial killer and I decided to you know, uh, take a look at this Canadian serial killer and going through this and reading this book. And I read the whole book, you know, uh, on, on halfway on the, tr- on the trip up and then another uh, finished on the trip back. And I thought to myself, my God, you know, this guy grew up in an extremely abusive household and in that household, you know, uh, there was, uh, sexual abuse, there was alcoholism, there was drug addiction, and I started to think to myself, it seemed as though that this serial killer could not stop killing. So I'm thinking to myself, well, if he can't, if you can't stop doing something, then maybe you're addicted to it. And being in the addictions field, I moved forward and started to research other serial killers. And at that point in time, I realized that a serial killer's drug of choice is murder. Okay? It's serial killers actually kill to feel alive. Now, I know that sounds like a dichotomy, but the bottom line is you got to understand that... When one of these guys go on the hunt, they automatically start to get an adrenaline rush. They start stimulated. They're entertaining, they're entertaining a major sexual fantasy and having complete power, control and dominance over another human being. And usually it's a woman or a child. And what I found is that just as a... Uh, we'll use a stimulant addict, a uh, cocaine addict, who needs his next hit of cocaine and how the duration gets shorter and shorter and shorter because he's building up a tolerance, so goes the serial killer. I mean, the serial killer will start to evolve. He may start off with one murder a year or one murder in six months, but eventually... He will evolve and progress, you know, to shorter periods of duration before he kills because he gets so much sexual gratification out of it. I mean, and and a number of serial killers have told me it's the ultimate high to play God over life and death.
1: Is it <laughs> is it always sexual gratification or is it, could, could it be... Is something else. Uh, I mean, power over uh, someone else's life is the heck of a. I mean, that that's a heck of a. Uh, st- I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, heck of a feeling, motivator, trigger, or whatever. But is it always is a serial killer. Is there always a sexual component, whether it's implied or uh, overt, in a, in the a serial killers? Uh,
2: you know, that's an excellent question, because if you talk to um, sexual serial killers, they will talk to you about the power and control aspect of the, uh, you know, fantasy of the um, the hunt, uh, you know, the attack and the kill. And, you know, they'll talk about how that power and control is extremely important to them. However, and especially with the ones I've interviewed, I'll bring them back to, well, why? where did the sex come in? Ah, Why did you have to have a, a sexual domination as well? Why couldn't you just have power and control and kill the person? Why did you need the sex? And the sex is not only sexually gratifying... It also feeds into the gratification of the power and the control, but in many cases, it's the demeaning of the victim. Now, that is for uh, sexual serial killers. Okay. But Mr. Hagman, you have an excellent point when you look at serial killers in general, because you have various subtypes of serial killers, and You know, it really doesn't always have to do with sex, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, For instance, if we look at um, a mission killer, okay, then this is someone who is fantasizing having power and control, but ridding the world of certain human beings. And that may or may not have a sexual component to it. Now, if it's focused on prostitutes, it can have a, he wants to rid the world of prostitutes, it can have a sexual component to it. If he's focused on, uh, ridding the world of, uh, homosexuals, I mean, that doesn't have to have a sexual component to it. I mean, if he's, uh, focusing on, uh, getting rid of any kind of minority, uh, you know and he feels he's on a mission well yeah uh, you're,
1: you're talking about all, all, all of these are mission oriented I, I don't mean to interrupt at all but, but I mean these yeah. are mission oriented uh, serial killers
2: right right this is this is a different category from your you know your sexual uh, serial killer uh, there's some theories out there that uh, even mission oriented serial killers get some kind of uh, some kind of sexual gratification from from um, you know killing. That I cannot confirm. I can confirm that the sexual serial killer, uh, the sex speaks for itself. Okay. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty much there. Uh, and, and even if you move on to a lust, um, you know, sadistic type of serial killer like Jeffrey Dahmer or BTK, now you're looking at, Sexual gratification, not only from the sex, but also sexual gratification from the pain and torture that they're inflicting, you know, on their victim. So, I mean, they're oh. different. They're different. It's, it's the different animal you look for. You know? Right,
1: right. Okay. Now, uh, out of the blue here, and this is not scripted, folks. So this is kind of fun. <laughs> but I'm going to ask you, uh, on average, mm-hmm. How many serial killers? Well, first of all, what's the def- definition of a serial killer, number one? And number two, on average, how many serial killers are walking around in the United States on any given day?
2: Well, first of all, um, you know, it has to be usually three victims. There has to be three victims with a cooling off period in between. So maybe, say, three victims over six months um, with a month in between. Uh, or two months in between or, you know, six victims in a year or six vic, or I'm sorry, three victims in a year or three victims, uh, over two years. I mean, there has to be a certain cooling off period, uh, in between. And that's how you define a serial killer, three or more. All right. When you look at, um, today, the, um, the estimate, which has not changed. Uh, it's been this way for years, it's usually there's 50 serial killers that are active throughout the country. And, you know, that's a lot of baloney because you also have another subtype serial killer, which is called a comfort killer, if you can believe that, an actual comfort killer. And this is a killer that kills for creature comforts. In other words, this is a single killer that kills for money, drugs, um, tangible items. Uh, this is a person that's not interested in sexual gratification. This is a person that's interested in power, control, murder for a profit. Right. So now if you add that subculture into this mix of serial killers, you have to take into consideration all these gangs throughout the United States, all these gangbangers, all these bodies, all these shooters for turf, for drugs, for power, for control, for money. I mean, you have to take it all into consideration. How could there only possibly be fifty serial killers when i mean you know you have guys out there that are gang bangers and they may not be killing uh, somebody for sex you know right. Uh, right this 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 doesn't have to be silence of the lambs if you know what i mean or you know some sexual boogeyman is going to come crawling through your window but these are people that have no conscience they have no remorse they have no guilt and, you know, they'll kill you for profit. They'll kill you for creature comforts. And this goes on and on and on. And, and that's why I think, uh, you know, more of this needs to really be exposed because, I mean, uh, you take a look at Chicago, you take a look at any major city and, and you see the escalation of gang violence and the escalation of murders. Are we to believe that only each time a person gets killed, it's only the first time the murderer has struck.
4: I mean, that'd be ridiculous. Good, good point. <laughs> good, okay.
2: excellent, excellent point.
4: Let's, if
1: you don't mind, let's talk about right. um, a a typical, if that's even possible, a typical serial killer. It's my understanding, based on on, on my limited forensic no- uh, knowledge, and um, I, I'm not sort I'm certified in certain forensic. This one's certainly not anything to do with the psychological or serial killer that would encompass that but isn't when you look at a serial killer what do you specifically look at as a profiler do you look at their first kill as a signature kill or yeah how do you what's your what's your train of investigation on this
2: well, the first thing we're looking at is, you know, was the, was the killer, uh, organized or unorganized? I mean, that is going to tell us, uh, a little bit about their intelligence, a little bit about if they have structure. It's going to tell us if, uh, you know, it was their first time out, um, or they've done this before, depending on how organized, uh, they were in the kill and the dumping of the body. Uh, The the one thing I'm very, very interested in, I'm very interested in uh, to try and find out what primary intake sense that this serial killer is operating from. And I think you'll find this very interesting. And Probably this is the first time this was ever brought out on a show, on a talk show, so I want you guys to understand this. right. You have three primary intake senses. You have your visual intake sense, you have your auditory intake sense, and then you have your kinesthetic or feelings intake sense. Okay? Now, my research, because I'm very well trained in neurolinguistics, and my research has led me to realize that with serial killers, they're 80 percent, approximately 80 percent, 75, 80 percent operating from a visual primary intake sense. I mean, they live and die through their eyes. I mean, seeing is believing. Seeing the fantasy, seeing the victim, focusing on a certain type of victim. In fact, if you guys will um, will think about it. You know, a lot of your serial killers become pretty good artists when they go into prison. They have an extremely, especially Gacy, he was a good artist. They, they, they have really a very good uh, visual intake sense. The other 20 to 25% are auditory. They're more of a um, uh, talking, charming kind of person that is going to lure you in Pretty much by not showing you things or you know, trying to uh uh stalk you or focus on you, they're usually going to try to talk you into their control zone. I'll give you an example. One of the first cases I ever got involved in uh was over in England, uh Colin, Ireland, and uh he was killing gay men, he was a mission killer. he was on a mission to kill gay men. In uh, London, and what he would do after the murders is he would call up the cops and taunt them from the victim's phone in the victim's apartment, and then he would leave. Well, I thought to myself, you know, this is a real auditory serial killer, and you know, they're they're the minority. Um, however you know, eventually he's going to get caught because the cops are going to catch on and they're going to tap the phone and they're going to be <laughs> figure out where he's at and eventually that's exactly what happened and that's how they got him and then later on when we delved into his background I mean, this guy was always screaming about you know, uh, ridding the world of uh, gay men, homosexuals I mean, he was just screaming about it and and there was a lot of press on that at the time over in London So, and that will give you an idea of an auditory serial killer. A visual serial killer, I guess one of the best I can give you would be Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. Oh, yeah. He was, um, you know, he's uh, the most prolific killer in the United States, sexual serial killer in United States history. And Gary um, posed uh, his first four victims... In certain poses after he killed them and what he did is he took them under the water uh, in the Green River and anchored them with rocks and was able to go up on a hillside or the bank of the river and look down into the Green River and see, have his own private porno gallery of these poor uh, prostitutes that he killed and just watch them and enjoy himself and get all this uh, visual kind of, uh, you know, stimulation. Uh, so there, it depends on the serial killer, many more are visual than they are auditory. Now, that begs the answer to what I brought up in the beginning. I brought up in the beginning, I said there are three primary intake senses. And I said there's visual, there's auditory, and there's kinesthetic, which is feelings, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I quickly found out in my research that serial killers, I've not found a serial killer whose primary intake sense is kinesthetic because they don't have any feelings. They don't feel any guilt. They don't feel any remorse. They don't feel any empathy. So right off the bat, you can get rid of that, and now you want to know if it's organized, unorganized. Are they visual? Are they auditory? How did they kill the person? Why did they kill the person? And then that can direct us to who they are that kill the person.
1: Man, this is fascinating. Folks, our guest is Mr. John Kelly. He's known as the Street Smart Profiler. He's a renowned criminal profiler. Um He's an addiction specialist as well. And, again, the co-star, the co-star excuse me, of Investigation Discovery's Dark Minds television series, you've seen him perhaps if you watch ID's channel. We're up against the bottom of the hour break. Mr. Kelly, you're going to have about a three-minute intermission. Um, but I want to tell people that you came to prominence after being the first person to connect the word addiction. To the phrase or the descriptive terminology serial killer. So there's an addiction behind that. And it's fascinating. The first, um, segment here, Mr. Kelly laid that all out. Um, the, the addiction aspect of it. And then of course the, uh, uh, the, the visual stimulation the auditory and then the, the, uh, kinetic or, or the, uh, uh, the feeling side of things, which interesting. You don't get that with the serial killer, according to Mr. Kelly. And I understand that because they don't have feelings folks remember right back uh you're listening to the hagman report hagmanreport.com that's our website uh our guest website joe is stock inc right yes s-t-a-l-k-i-n-c.com
3: that's stock inc.com uh go there and check out the website yeah we'll be back with john kelly after these short messages you're listening to this edition of the hagman report yeah give us three minutes
1: we'll be right back
4: ...of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of end times fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance.
5: we
1: To this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, HagmanReport.com. That's our primary website, Hagman and Hagman for the show. And also resurrecting Homeland Security US.com. That's Homeland Security US.com. Put a um, investigative report out over the weekend. Don't forget we have reformulated the Northeast Intelligence Network and they are out uh I'm just gonna just for uh, OPSEC purposes to let you know, they're out uh, they're out gathering intelligence. And let me tell you what they're finding is is Unbelievable. But if you take a look at uh, HomelandSecurityUS.com, Security US.com, take a look at that. The latest uh, investigative report, more to come on that. Also, personalized broadcast brought to you by ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. If you're looking to hire, that's the place to go. ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. More on that later. Uh, our guest again is Mr. John Kelly. Now, he had a book out, it's about 15 years old. Uh, it, it's still, still I got to tell you, it's, it's a good book. It's uh, he's the author of Warning Signs, a guidebook of uh, guidebook for parents by Reginary Publishing. But uh, Mr. Kelly, John, do you have any anything updated, new, anything you want to um, promote here tonight to give you the opportunity?
2: Well, I appreciate it very much. Um, these days, uh, what I'm promoting is Stock S T A L K I N C Stock Incorporated. Again, System to Apprehend Lethal Killers Incorporated and i've been promoting that uh, pretty much um wherever i've been for like the last uh i got to say the last 15 years because uh even though uh warning signs guide book for parents is a very good book i tried not to uh wear two hats at the same time and and my obligation is to the law enforcement professionals and the other members of our stock team. I mean, we. I am blessed, I'm truly blessed to have been uh, able to work with uh, some of the best homicide detectives in the country, to have some of the best homicide detectives on our team, retired homicide detectives. For instance, the vice president of Stock Incorporated is Frank Adamson, uh, Frank Led. Led the Green River uh, serial killer case. Okay, I don't, you know, I don't, you know I don't, right? Yeah. And uh, he's our vice president. Um, you know, uh, Timmy Braun, who arrested uh, Charles Cullen in New Jersey. I mean, Timmy is uh, on our team. Um, then we have other uh, psychologists. We have other specialists. Um, you know, we have uh, different uh, law enforcement liaisons. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm just honored that the team has been able to do the work they've done to teach me. Uh, you know, there's nothing you, you, you know, you can talk profiler all you want, but there's nothing beats physical evidence, as you know, Doug. Sure. Uh, bottom line. And to be able to work with, um, you know, the pros, the best of the best that, that believed in me. And allowed me to recruit them, uh, to come to work for stock when in the beginning there was no money at all. <laughs> I mean, these are dedicated. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know the feeling. Well, let, let me ask you because we, we got a lot of law enforcement personnel listening to this broadcast, who listen to this broadcast. The Sock Inc. is available for consultations across the United States, across the world, right? I mean, you, or, or no.
2: Yeah, dark, across the world, dark, uh, minds, uh, for three seasons ran in 22 different countries. So, mm. we work, we, we're, we available, we're around, and, uh, certainly we're available for consultation, uh, and we also do charity work, we work for, uh, you know, various families that might be the victim of the serial. Um you know, and um you know, just this, this start calling. This is what we do. Yeah,
1: it's, it sounds like you've got a wonderful team, knowing just the names you mentioned, luminaries um in the business. Um uh, John, again, none of this is scripted and it's deliberate because uh it, it's better fresh. Let me ask you a question.
2: Yeah.
1: You've got on your website the Anthrax Killer Case, you've got that. There's two, there's two things, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you, we'd like to ask you, Joe and I were meeting before the show, um and to the, to the extent you want to or can answer both questions, it's up to you. And, and again, if you, if you want to, we can go in any direction you want, but the anthrax killings number one, the 2001 anthrax, uh, killer case, and number two would be, um something that I'm looking at too, and that's the, uh, the satanic ritual abuse involving pedophilia and some people refer to that in social networking as gates that references the emails to john podesta which there's no there's no evidence of any wrongdoing with podesta here let me be clear but there's smoke with respect to activity so can we address either one or both of those topics do we have enough time do you think yeah, go ahead. Okay, well, okay. Let's talk about the anthrax case, uh, two thousand and one. Many people, uh, I mean, what? It, I'll just say, what's up with
2: that? Well, first of all, you know, the the anthrax case is not a case that you know we really. Uh, it's not the type of case that we normally work. That's number one. Um. I can't tell you exactly where, but I can tell you we had offices close to Princeton and Hamilton, New Jersey, which um, was, um, you know, Ground Zero right. uh, for the anthrax. If you remember that, oh yeah. Uh, I ended up um, getting mail. I was getting a lot of a lot of mail from uh, other businesses that uh, I was involved with. And having to microwave the mail <laughs> you know, so really, right off the hop, I wasn't liking this guy very much at all, and um you know what we did is we put out there what we could put out um uh, the man uh the doctor that was uh, finally arrested um. You know, we did believe he was a, uh, a really good chemist or microbiologist. Um, was also an alcoholic. Uh, in fact, he committed suicide by drinking and taking, uh, Tylenol. Tylenol is really toxic to the liver. Um It's a rough way to commit suicide. Uh, that was... That. I'm sorry? That's, that's
1: a rough way to commit suicide.
2: Yeah, horrible death. Horrible death. But, you know, if he's the guy... And the FBI says he is, then he certainly deserved it because anthrax is a hell of a way to go too. True. And, and, and the sheer terror that engulfed New Jersey at the time and the country was unbelievable because don't forget, we're coming off 9 11. And, and, and this is going on and, and, you know, we're saying, well, can we help? Is it possible? Let's try it. Let's give it a shot. And, you know, we tried to do our best and consulted, uh, you know, with the FBI and, uh, tried to, tried to just get a, a, an idea or a focus on who this guy could be. I mean, if you think he's a microbiologist and he has no concern, uh, uh, for, uh, humans, he's either a terrorist that's working with the 9-11 crew that came over, uh, or you know, uh, you know, he's somebody that is uh, some other motive, and it looks like this turned out uh, to be a situation where he was interested in gaining, you know, some kind of uh, major uh, notice for some drug that uh, he was working on as some cure for anthrax. But the bottom line was he was extremely visual person, Michael, biologist, visual. You can't be like me, an auditory. Kinesthetic kind of guy and make a living through microbiology. I mean, my brain just doesn't work like that, you know. Interesting. Um, so that's how we jump into that. Uh, we did consult with the FBI on that. Uh, of course, you know uh, that's a one-way street. When you consult with the FBI, you give them what you got, you get nothing back, and they oh, yeah. go on their way. And you realize that going in, you understand that going in, you are not part of the investigation. You're just saying, look it, I don't know if this is the guy or not, here's our best shot, you know, and then after this guy got caught, we put the profile up and said, okay, you know, how do we, do it yeah. or not?
1: and that was, the reason I asked that is because out of the cases that you did, the anthrax case seemed to be kind of con, not contrary to, but kind of a um, a left turn from what you normally do. Absolutely. You know, so I was just curious about that. I didn't know if there was something else there that you you had an interest aside from the proximity. Very good, though. And it's interesting, too, you know, your your three types, your three um, primary uh, uh, senses, visual, auditory, and feelings, of course. It it does kind of fit into that. Um, Okay, moving ahead here, uh, and this is fascinating. Folks, we're talking with John Kelly. He's... Street Smart Profiler, Renowned Criminal Profiler, Addiction Specialist, Co-Star, Investigation Discovery Series, Dark dark Minds, 23 Countries. You know him. You've seen him. uh, fantastic individual. But now, if we could move to what you've seen with respect, perhaps you have, perhaps you haven't, uh, with respect to, I noticed on your website, Stock Inc., S-T-A-L-K-I-N-C, I I noticed on your website you've got the report, the uh, what was it? Uh, the exact verbiage? Uh, I'm not sure of it. Reporting uh, child uh, abusers, I think. Uh, ah. w- what do you know about the? What's your what's your take on the the current situation with respect to what people are referring to PedoGate? Whether it's you know Sandusky, the Franklin scandal, the serial child. In high abuse. Of the yeah. If you have any,
2: it's it's. You know, child abuse is running rampant uh, in this country, and my favorite saying um, in the business I'm in is that not everybody that gets abused will become a serial killer or a mass murderer, but it seems most, you know, it seems all serial killers have been abused and a lot of mass murderers, okay? So I look at child abuse, and keep in mind, too, I'm coming at it from, um, you know, um, a, a psychotherapy environment, I'm coming in from the addictions environment. I mean, it seems to be this country's bane, if you know what I mean, because, you know, this country was built on the family. Okay, before there was a United States, there was a family. And if you have dysfunctional child-abusing families, you have an erosion of the family system in the United States. And that's the very foundation of this country. So the more child abuse you have, the more angry kids you're going to have, the more drug addicts you're going to have, the more alcoholics you're going to have, uh, the more people suffering from post-traumatic stress you're going to have, which is an anxiety disorder, which a lot of people really don't understand, you don't have to go to war to get post-traumatic stress. You can get post-traumatic stress in a house. And I, when I see this child abuse going on, when I see, you know, uh, any of these pedophile serial killers, uh, we've been after I think a couple up in uh one in Michigan um I, I up and 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 also through Massachusetts. Um that's pretty alarming to me. Um, but in general when you're looking at just sexual abuse, uh physical abuse, which sexual abuse is as well, um, and neglect neglect. I mean some sometimes the deepest scars are the scars you can't see. Okay, where a child feels unwanted or unloved. That's called an attachment disorder, you know, from parents. But with this this epidemic of drug addiction that you have going on in this country, especially with the opiates, I mean, and all these other drugs. How in the name of God can you be a good parent? How can you be so under the influence and not be abusive to your child. <laughs>
1: wow. You
2: know, so, true. You know, so if, if you have, you know, these kids running in these gangs, he, you know, they go, oh, well, he's joining a gang. And, and lots of times in their minds, they're joining the family. This is the family they never had. Okay. So they'll live and die for the gang because it's the only family they know. And, uh, they get, uh, desensitized to the violence. And, uh, that's why I, I said earlier on that you have more, um, you know, more serial killers, uh, out there than, uh, stated, uh, to various, uh, you know, um, uh, departments of justice or FBI or whatever because it doesn't have to be a sexual serial killer to be a serial killer. I mean, uh, you know, some of these gang bangers uh certainly fall in line of a serial killer. I mean, mm-hmm. if you wanted to look at it in another way, you could look at a hitman for the mafia or for the Mexican cartels or whatever. Here's a guy that's a serial killer who's a creature comfort serial killer. He's killing for creature comforts, money. He's getting money for his hits. Um, he's completely desensitized to it. He doesn't care. Um, he's going to go out and kill you for money. And uh, you know, this is just uh, you know another aspect of it is that these gangbangers, a lot of them, are just like hitmen uh, in in a lot of respects.
1: Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Uh,
3: John, I got a, a question for you. Um, yeah. In your Capacity as an investigator. How have you ever run across the? What, what's the role of uh, satanic ritual abuse or Satanism, uh, along with with serial killing?
2: You know, uh, I'll tell you, we have not worked many um, satanic uh, killings. Um, I personally believe. When I'm in front of a serial killer, that I'm in front of a soulless person. I don't know if either one of you uh, ever sat and interviewed a serial killer once they've been caught and have been in prison or anybody you know. But, you know, um, the first serial killer I interviewed was Henry Lee Lucas. I'll never forget it. Wow. In uh, Death Row, Huntsville, Texas. And Henry was, uh, was really abused as a child and he was was an auditory kind of guy who Henry wanted to talk. Most of these guys do not. They're visual. They're not, they don't want to talk, but some will, especially if there's something in it for them. But with Henry, he wanted to talk and he knew, uh, that I was focused, um, you know, coming from an, uh, an addiction illness discipline, uh, being an addiction specialist, and he grew up in an extremely alcoholic family uh, to a very promiscuous mother. But I remember walk, sitting down and looking at him through this plastic glass window and starting to have a conversation with him and feeling something was off. Like, I had never experienced this before. Why? What was going on here? What's, what's different about this? And what was different was, mm-hmm. I mean, this guy was like talking to a robot. I mean, yes, there was a human being in front of me. Yes, this human being was making conversation with me, but Satan is alive and well. I believe in serial killers. <laughs> and, you know, definitely, you know, there was no empathy. There was no remorse. There was no guilt. And that, that just, uh, permeated, you know, right through the whole room. I mean, it, it was just, uh, it was incredible for me because I had never felt that or seen that, uh, before. And the way he just talked in general. You know, about murders, some which he did commit, some he didn't commit, some he lied about. Right. Uh, and he admitted, to, I don't know, 500 murders or something. And he told me, he said, I just wanted to get out of here, and go out and have a good time. And I, if I kept admitting to murders, they'd keep taking me out of here. He said, I knew they had me on some murder, and I knew I was going to end up dying, but why not go out and get out here as much as I can and have a good time until they're ready to execute me? And that's what he did. He went around the country, stayed in good hotels, ate well, and, um, you know, saw faces for them, admitted to crimes, murders that he never was involved But, de- but definitely, um, you know, any, anybody at all that I've ever, um, been in, at any kind of contact with, Um, And especially 13, who I've had over, and still have a 13, over 13-year relationship with. I mean, you know, I mean, there is the feelings number one, man. I mean, it's, it's, uh, if he got out of prison tomorrow, the first thing he'd do is hit a bar. The second thing he'd do is try and get himself some crack. And the third thing he'd do is go out and get himself a prostitute to murder.
4: Wow.
1: That's, the, that's 13, the serial killer known as 13, correct?
2: Yes, yeah, season one, Dark Minds, and then he started to get ill, so you know, they had to go find somebody else.
3: John, if I can ask you this, you were just talking about um, you know, no empathy, basically sociopathic tendencies. Um, how many serial killers have you run into that you would consider to be sociopaths versus how many have a conscious and are remorseful for what they've done?
2: None.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay.
2: <laughs> now, I mean, now, now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've interviewed, you know, 13, you know, God knows how many times. And I've interviewed Henry Lee Lucas. I interviewed Gacy through the mail. Uh, he wouldn't give me enough close and personal. I've interviewed Bobby Chawang through the mail. Um, you know, but th- but there's no... Um, there it, 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 it's it's just lacking uh it's just soulless person um it's demonic um, all they are concerned about i mean it's it's pat, it's at the height of pathological narcissism all they are concerned about is their gratification i mean they just assume so you get hit by a card and then drop a hamburger <laughs> on the ground i mean they don't they they look at us, uh, and uh, they know how to play us. Uh, they do not believe uh, they are the same as us. They believe they are different. It's like um, they're alien in a way to this earth. They know how to manipulate us. They know how to move around us. They know how to put on the mask of sanity and, uh, you know, talk with us and communicate with us, but they definitely know, uh, the difference between them and, uh, most other human beings. All right. You know,
1: we've got about five minutes left of your appearance here. You can feel free to talk about anything you'd like. My, my, my kind of closing question, if you will, is, sure. um, is there any way to tell uh, for our members of our listening and viewing audience to tell? By uh, by sight, or even perhaps by action, that they are around, or in close proximity to, or you know, hanging out with, or working with, or living by a potential serial killer or an actual serial killer. I know it sounds kind of a weird question.
2: No, it's not. It's not. In fact, I was having a, a conversation with a colleague of mine uh, this morning on that, and. Um, she works with spouses uh, that are going through divorces um, with uh, sociopaths. And so, really, you know, it's hard to know if the person will kill or not. I mean, you have many sociopaths out there that don't kill. You have many psychopaths out there that don't kill. However, the best barometer. Is if you are around an individual for any length of time and they show no empathy, if they show no empathy for animals, if they even seem to be cruel to animals, if they show no empathy for children, if they show no empathy uh for the public in general if they show uh, a lack of empathy um, you know for their family members their wife uh, mother father children that is a sign that something is wrong with that person because if if they have what we call uh um, an extremely low uh conscience level uh and 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 a void of uh any kind of empathy uh for anything else that is a major sign. The second major sign is the pathological narcissism, that they are the greatest things since sliced bread, that the sun rises and sets on them. Uh, they can do no wrong. They are never wrong. They are always right. They are focused on power and control. I don't know if they're going to evolve into a killer, but definitely you're not going to have a good time hanging out with them.
1: <laughs> not, not someone to, to spend a, a breakfast uh, meeting with. John Kelly, thank you so very much. We're at the end of our segment. I want to tell you, you're a fascinating guy.
2: Well, it, I appreciate <laughs> it. I'm so honored to be on here and thank you and thank your audience. For
1: uh, absolutely.
2: You Joe, I appreciate it. It's very great.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you, uh, hopefully you'll come back visit with us again. Uh, people can watch you. And it's still on Investor. Invest- yeah. On discovery, investigation discovery through syndication? right?
2: Yeah, I'm on different I'm a different. I've done a number of shows now. We have three seasons of Dark Minds, it's over with. But we've done uh, you know, I've done other shows. I've done Burger University, I've done uh, you know, uh People magazine, I've done the Long Island Serial Killer for the killing season, for Alex Gibney. I mean I, I've done I do I do I, I never know when I'll get called to do a show. And thank you so much for allowing me to do your show.
1: Thank you, sir. John thank Kelly, you. will have you back. God bless you. Thank you. Thanks, John. All right. And, and his website, Salk Inc., S-T-A-L-K-I-N-C. It's Center program description.
3: When we come back, we're going to be joined by Michael Franzese on this edition of the Hagman Report. Don't go anywhere. Music
1: but a bing, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG Chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP-proof. And it's environmentally friendly, yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to GreenInnovative.com. That's GreenInnovative.com perhaps you're a business out there a small business would you like to extend the reach of your business I bet you would we should like to, to have the same opportunities as companies such as Omaha Steaks, Pro Flowers, and Casper Mattress. Some of the bigger companies out there. Would you like to have that same power. Advertise on our program. Go to Hagman and Hagman.com or send an email to opportunities at Hagman and Hagman.com. If you go to HagmanReport.com and Hagman and Hagman.com, there's a link where you can, you can... you can It's a big red box. You'll see it. You'll see it. Click on that link. And go ahead and read the benefits we have created for you. I think it's, I think it's a fabulous opportunity.
4: plantations qualified accredited investors should go to precious timber profits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information call 855-888-6288 or visit precious this announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase offering made by prospectus only 855-888-6288 Precious Timberprofits dot com. Precious dot com.
1: Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Hag report. You might be wondering, uh, what are we listening to? Why? Why, for example, we did a segment. With uh, John Kelly, a criminal profiler, I think you're gonna. And with the, with respect to um, serial killers, and I think what we're seeing in today's society, the reason we're bringing on experts like this, and even our guest, which who's scheduled for to be with us momentarily, you know what we what we're seeing with the people in power today, I believe. This, this is an inside look at the temple. And it's, it's something to really consider. Um, and I want to thank everyone for joining us right here on the Hagman and Hagman Report. HagmanReport.com, that's our website. HomelandSecurityUS.com, that coming up here moment, uh, very soon. A new article is there, a new investigative report is there concerning the major, and I mean a major, uh, issue with congressional hacking and I think it's worthy of notes. That's on CanadaFreePress.com dot com as well. Um, for your commentary before we get to our guest, and you're just gonna absolutely be thrilled when you hear this guest. I'm gonna tell you I'm, i was thrilled when I heard that uh we're we're having this gentleman on tonight. Uh I just want to give a shout out to of Media. And let me ask you, if you if you if you are listening to this, your ministry, you've got a church, we'll say, you've got uh or or you're in charge of putting together events. If you need a fascinating speaker for your next conference or dinner, banquet, or church event, folks, check out Acaso Media for speakers like, well, like the, a, like a, a, a Secret Service agent, JFK, Audrey JFK, Abe Bolden, uh, Charlie Brandt, who we had on last week, the man who cracked the Jim, Jimmy Hoffa case, people like Zachary King, we've had him on as well, uh, the former Uh, mobster cell police and others across media speakers this is the place to go and i want to give a great big thank you to uh, bill mcintosh if you want to get a hold of bill across media his number is 305-396-2806 one more time that's 305-396-2806. He's a great guy. Um, and, and I'm going to thank, uh, thank Bill for all he's done and thank John as well for all he's done. Uh, go ahead, Joe. Let's, let's bring on our guest right now. I don't want to keep him waiting. Uh, uh, his, our, our next, yeah, we just got the thumbs up from Eric. Um, I, I, this is good. Folks, you're in for a treat. You're in for a treat on this one. Um, if you've had, have you heard of the book, Blood Covenant? Have you heard of it? Have you, I've read it, and I've got to tell you, it's, it's an earth-shaking book to me. Anyway, uh, written by, and I'm going, to, I'm going to mispronounce his name. I was doing it all day, so I'm going to let you pronounce correctly his name.
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. Michael, Michael Franzese, Franzese right, is our right. is our next
3: guest. But I'm, I'm, I've been saying it all wrong all day. This is an incredible story, um, and I don't know how many people out there are like me uh, who follow... Uh, who are interested in, in the history of of the mob and and are into you know the movies that they make about it and, and the real live uh, history that goes into it and the books that are written about it. But this is something I've been interested in for a long time, and this is a, a real ver- this is a very interesting story. Um, Michael Franzese is our guest. He grew up into uh, the he was growing up into the New York Mafia. His family was especially his dad was an underboss of the, the Colombo crime family. And Michael was one of the most uh, successful um, money men in the mafia uh, from the 70s through the 90s. I I think he owes me money for gas.
1: Okay, (laughs) seriously, he owes me gas money. Uh, That's another whole story. Michael, welcome to the
0: Hagman Report. Hello, gentlemen. Good to be here.
1: It's good to have you here. And, folks, uh, our guest is calling from an undisclosed location because, well, he... He, there's a hit on him. Okay, I don't know how else to, how else you say that. There's a hit out on him. Uh, he's coming. He's calling from an undisclosed location. We don't know where he is, uh, but uh, we're certainly glad to have him. And he's he's a he's a very interesting man. Yeah, and his story
3: um, it's a it's a very interesting story because it not only deals with um, his past, but it goes through uh, his redemption through faith and where that has taken him to today. Um, Michael, I'm just going to turn it over to you, and and let you introduce yourself, and um, let you start where you will, and then we'll we'll jump in with with questions uh, where it presents itself.
0: Well, thanks, guys. You know, I want to make something clear. Um, you know, for the audience especially. You know, I certainly had. A number of people upset with me when I walked away from that life, and some of them still are. But over the past twenty, twenty-five years, I've been fortunate, and very blessed enough, uh, just to outlast everybody. So, um, you know, I'm on the East Coast right now and calling in. But, um, you know, I, I speak publicly in many places. So, even though you know, I tell people I can't go back to Brooklyn and say, "Hey, guys, I'm moving back into the neighborhood." Um, you know, that wouldn't be smart. It probably wouldn't last too long. But, um, you know, God doesn't tell you to be stupid about things. But, um, you know, I, I roam the country, um, and I, I certainly watch myself and, and I'm very careful. But, uh, you know, I don't live looking over my shoulder. So I, I just want to make that clear because, um, you know, I speak all over the country now, all over the world. And I just want to make that clear for the audience. But, you know, you were correct in what you said in many ways. But, um, you know, I do get around. And and just to, you know, to tell you a bit of my story, to try to sum it up, you know, my dad was the underboss of the Colombo family back in the 60s. So I, I grew up in that life, even though he didn't want that for me. He wanted me to go to school, and be a doctor. And I was on that road until he got in some serious trouble, indicted several times in the state. Um, he was uh, acquitted in three in trials in the state of New York, but then was indicted in federal court in 1966 for masterminding a nationwide string of bank robberies. And after a lengthy trial, he was convicted and in 1967 sentenced to 50 years in prison. In 1970, after he lost all his appeals, he was shipped off to Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas to do his time. I was a pre-med student at that point in uh, Hofstra University in New York. I was pretty devastated. I mean, my dad was 50 when he went in. I figured after 50, at 50 on top of that, he'd never come out of prison alive because, guys, I love my dad very much. He was, uh, you know, He was my hero in life. I idolized him. He was a great father, very supportive of me. So it was devastating when he went away. And Joe Colombo at that time was the boss of my family. He kind of took me under his wing. And before you know it, you know, I'm getting more involved with those family matters than, uh, than school. Visited dad in Leavenworth and said, dad, if, if I don't help you out, you're going to die in prison. And, uh, I lost interest in school and he and I had a pretty heavy discussion because he didn't want that for me. And he, he tried to talk me out of it, but he knew my mind was made up. and. It was, uh, during that visit that he proposed me for membership into the Colombo family. Sent word out to, uh, to the acting boss. Joe Colombo had been shot, seriously wounded. He eventually died from the wounds. And, uh, the acting boss was Tom DeBella at the time. He's passed on now, but, um, you know, I met with Tom and he kind of ran it down to me that uh, what was going to be required of me, uh, you know, if I was ever going to be admitted into that life. I was a recruit for about 18 months and proved myself worthy, I guess, in their eyes. And in uh Halloween night, 1975, I became a MAID member along with five other gentlemen. We took the oath and I got straightened out as the term is. And I was a soldier for about five years, I was motivated really to do two things: get my dad out of prison and uh and fortunately to make money. i just uh, my dad told me in that life, you make money. Uh, translates to power not unlike the real world and by the way i did get my dad out after 10 years on parole i'll tell you a little bit about what went on with him after that but um so i was successful there and and then i was very fortunate and then i knew how to use that life to benefit me in business and went on to make a, a very significant amount of money and in 1980 the boss of my family called my persico uh, made me a copper regime, or captain and operated in that capacity until about uh, 95 when I really consider myself formally removed from that life. And during that time, uh, you know, I became a major target of law enforcement myself. I was indicted uh, several times in the state, went to trial and was acquitted in three major trials. And then was indicted in 1984 by Rudy Giuliani on a major racketeering case. I was actually the first major mob guy he indicted under the RICO statute. Fortunately, again, I was acquitted in that case after a seven-month trial. Some of my co were convicted, um, and then in 1985, I took a plea on a, another major racketeering case that really revolved around old gasoline scam i guess i can call it where i was defrauding the government out of tax on every gallon of gasoline at the height of our operation uh we were selling a half a billion gallons of gas a month and taking it down you know close to 40 cents a gallon so we were doing about 10 million dollars a week i ran that operation for seven years i had the uh the russian mob guys from brighton beach involved with me and it was very successful for a number of years so you know that kind of brings it up to 85 when i took that plea i got a, a 10-year prison sentence I ended up uh, paying the government. I had a fifteen million dollar restitution, five million forfeitures on top of that. During that time, I had a jet plane and a helicopter and a number of homes and boats and all of that. I surrendered all of that to the government as part of my plea agreement, and went off to do my time. And um, I don't know how far you want me to go, but well, uh, no, this you know we can talk about what happened after that.
1: Well, you know well, it's you amazing know because. I just want to say, um, just from your book, uh, Blood Covenant, from the first edition, uh, I just want a couple of quotes, and, and because this is t- kind of timely to the time you referenced there. Um, Edward uh, McDonald, former attorney in charge of Organized Crime Strike Force Eastern District in New York. I wouldn't want to be in Michael Francis' shoes. I don't think his life expectancy is very substantial. Um, Bernie Welsh, retired FBI. Uh, he will get whacked. Um, I say all that just to say this God has p- plans for people, regardless of where they've been. So, I just. So, yeah, continue on. This is fascinating.
0: Well, you know, that was. I don't want to say particularly he had plans in my case because I'm not singling myself out as being anybody special. I just. I just have been extremely blessed, and um, what happened to me is, in in 1984, I met a young girl on a movie that I was producing. Among many things I was doing, I had a uh, production company. I was producing a movie in South Florida. It was a dance movie, and uh, she was one of the dancers that uh, were brought in from uh, California to dance in the film. She was 20 years old at the time. I met her on the set. Uh, She was a young Christian girl, and I fell very much in love with her. She's now my wife of 32 years and it was through her and her mom who was a very devout christian i love that woman um who i believe prayed me to where i am she was a prayer warrior uh, but these two women kind of got into my head and and uh you know kind of turned me around in a way i took the plea because of her because i fell in love with her and i said if i'm going to be with this woman my life was a direct contradiction to everything that that her and her mom believed and i had to make some changes so my plan you know, really initially was just to take that plea. I had leverage because I had beaten the government. they really wanted a conviction on me, so believe it or not, the ten year sentence at that time was uh, a blessing because guys were getting fifty and a hundred in life and to get away with ten years at that time was was totally a blessing and i I didn't care too much about the forfeitures and all of that. Uh, I just wanted to settle out and try to have a life with this girl out in California but you know and initially um You know, I didn't, I wasn't accepting her faith, uh, but I respected her faith and I just knew that, you know, she couldn't be accepting of my lifestyle. And you know, the amazing thing I always tell people is that, um, you know, when I met her, I was kind of at the top of my game in that life. You know, I'm going to be the, they were promoting me to be the boss or the underboss. I was making more money than, you know, I could have imagined at that point in time. I beat all of these cases. I'm my father's son. I really had a strong dislike, I have to say hate for the government. And, and um, you know, I meet this young girl, and all of a sudden, you know, my love for her became more powerful than this lifelong bond. This love that I had for my dad, it became more powerful than this blood oath that I took that I was very much uh, loyal to and uh, you know when I look back I say you know how do you explain that and the only explanation I have after the past 30 years the way my life has gone is that you know this was God's plan for my life he, he put this girl in my life because he had a different plan for me and um, you know so I go into prison and uh, you know I'll be honest with you too I was playing a little game with the government letting them think that you know I'm a good guy and you know try to cooperate a little bit but I would never never go the distance I was kind of had one foot in one foot out and uh i I kept that up for a while because after it became public that i was walking away you know everybody was upset with me of my family puts a hit on me my father goes along with it Uh, i had a lot of trouble in prison they kept me locked down they kept moving me around for different places you know as they kept telling me their informants are telling them that i'm a dead man they were pressuring me to cooperate Um, I got out on parole for 13 months, guys, it was the worst 13 months of my life. Uh, trying to get my life in order, guys coming after me. I couldn't put a house in my name, no utilities. My wife and I had to move around. They were really intent on, on, on coming after me at that point. Government's no still me to go into the program. I didn't want to do that. I kept refusing it. And finally, after 13 months, I think the government had enough of me because they tried to get me to testify in a case that was uh, a very dear friend of mine. He was the boss of the Lucchese family, and I just refused. I said, I'm not doing it. I'm not putting people in jail. And, uh, within two weeks of that I was violated and um, when they violated me uh, they uh, said they were going to indict me on another racketeering case they gave me the maximum parole violation they they, you know took my bank accounts my car they just really stripped me of everything I thought I was going to lose my wife at that point because she had a breakdown And I go back into prison, and um, the uh, racketeering case, you know, praise God, uh, they couldn't indict me. For whatever reason, it fell apart. But they gave me four years on the parole violation, which was the maximum at the time. And out of the four years, I spent uh, three years uh, in the hole, six by eight cell, uh, just me and God, 24-7. And it was during that time, guys, that, uh, you know, I read my Bible inside out and upside down. Uh, you know, I, I always tell people it's one of my notes on my prison Bible than there is scripture. I had my wife send me several hundred books on every faith because I was really into seeing if this was real. And I wanted to study other faiths, and I did, I had nothing but time on my hands and uh you know for me um i came out of there believing that the bible was god's word and that jesus was my savior and you know i had 3 years to really do the work and the research i can only uh it, it's hard to explain you know the feeling you get when you're locked up alone like that and um i saw a lot of guys not do well in that situation and i know that you know if i didn't have you know faith and and god wasn't with me during that time i don't think i would have came out of there the way i did <laughs> And, you know, from that point, I never, ever intended in being in the ministry, never intended being a speaker, never intended writing books or doing all these uh, shows that they're doing with me. But, you know, God had a plan. He navigated a course for me. And, and the way it came about, um, I was resistant to it, immediately, you know, in the beginning, because I said, you know, this is, ministry, Michael Franzese, it doesn't make sense. It just didn't work for me. But God just kept putting me in that direction and unfortunately at one point I became obedient. I've seen that this was working and you know, the rest as they say is history and it's been twenty years now. I've been speaking certainly all over this country, um, all over the world now. I mean I'll be in, in uh the United Kingdom next week, uh actually this week, I'm sorry, for a twelve a, a city tour and Doing a number of churches and prisons and I have a great ministry for our young people. I speak with a lot of gangbangers, uh, really have a heart for them. Uh, I do a lot of prison ministry. Can't forget those guys in there because I know that God is a fertile, uh, prison is a fertile ground for God to do his work. So I try to make sure that, you know, we get the Lord into their hearts and I just give my testimony all over the world and, and God has just given me that uh, privilege. Um, it's a totally an evangelistic ministry and it just really worked out, and you know I don't know what else to say, guys. To kind of sum it up, oh, <laughs> but uh, you know it's just well, been know, a blessed ride.
1: It, it, to me, you had to go through a whole lot. Um, I mean, you're a talented guy. Obviously, you've got you've got more talent than than most people, and and, and I say that. Honorably, um, even though you used it perhaps to to further an illegal enterprise or enterprises, you, you've got talent. Now you've you, you had you went through all kinds of you, bad stuff, and here you are. Now you've turned around and you you are. Uh, do I use the word evangelizing? I, maybe that's not the right word to use, but but certainly you're teaching, right? I mean, you're you're teaching others how to.
0: Uh, yeah, you know what it is, uh, it's basically sharing. You know, I, I always tell people my goal is never to impose my faith on anyone. And I don't try to turn people into Christians because we can't do that anyway. That's, that's very personal between that person and God. But I, I think we are required, uh, you know, March, Mark sixteen thirteen when Jesus said, go out and share the good word with all of creation. And I think we, we are obligated to do that as Christians. And I just share what God has done in my life. And I think when they see, the history and most people are you know probably like yourself they they can't believe that i'm still alive and you know in many ways um i feel the same way you know i mean it could have turned out really really bad i mean i don't know anybody else that's doing what i do publicly walked away from that life publicly and lived to tell about it i mean a lot of guys have gone into the program and changed their identity and all of that but i'm out there and, uh, you know, God has had a veil of protection on me. I believe that. Because I don't, I don't thumb my nose in the face of my former associates. I mean, these guys are very capable. And, uh, I don't do that. And I, I really believe that God had a different plan for me. And, you know, I always tell people this too. You know, there's a practical reason, um, and certainly a spiritual reason, uh, for me being here. And number one, this was God's plan for my life. But number two, you know, He didn't just throw me into the fire. I spent 20 years in that life at a very high level. I knew the mentality of the guys. I knew what they would do. I knew what they wouldn't do. You know, I knew they weren't going to be able to walk me into a room unknowingly, and and I don't walk out again. And unfortunately, that's one of the horrors of that life. And I've experienced that with many people that I was associated with during that time. I said, if they want me, they're going to have to come and get me. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to change my lifestyle so I don't make it easy. And so he prepared me for that. And, um, you know, I had that experience one night, you know, over money and gas business where I was walked into a room and I didn't know if I was going to walk out again. And, um, I did walk into the room and I was scared. Don't get me wrong. I mean, my knees were trembling. My, my heart was pounding out of my chest, but, um, it showed me that I could face death. So it, it, it kind of prepared me for what might have happened anyway. So, but again, that's all God's preparation. You know, he uses all of our experiences in life, even the bad ones um to prepare us for what his purpose is in our life. And I believe that, boy, if you really know the details in mind, that's, that's so crystal clear. And, and I try to get that across to people that are struggling in their own lives and, you know, they've been through bad situations and they say, how is God ever going to, you know, prepare me? What is he ever going to use me for? And I tell them that, you know, what the enemy meant for bad in, in our lives, God will turn around and use for his glory. And, and, uh, it's so evident in my life that, that it's happened that way. I'm just thankful for it.
3: Michael, I got I got to taking a step back. I just have one question um about the the success you had in that life and then your transition. Uh how is it that uh, being as successful as you were bringing in the kind of money you had? How's that how did that end up being a a bad thing for you or uh how did that work against you?
0: How did the uh I'm sorry the, the, the uh, how did I the, the money, acquire that wealth?
3: No, no, the money that you were bringing in, the money that you did acquire, um, how, and I was, I watched a documentary, uh, earlier today that you were on, and you talked about how, um, the amount of money you were bringing in posed a, a problem for you in, in your life. Um,
0: well, before, you know what happens? You know, that life is kind of double edged sword. You know, when you, when you really start to earn and you start to get some status and people get to know you and, you know, and they talk about you and the media starts to hype you you know, people at the top start to get nervous, and unfortunately, you know, there is a lot of jealousy in that life, a lot of envy, and, and um you know, people think maybe you have ideas, you want to be the boss, or, uh, you know, and I had a story written about me in Newsday, a long hour newspaper, that, you know, I was becoming so powerful, I was going to break away and stop my own family, no true to it at all, but, you know, it's out there, and people think about those things, so... You know, it, it was a problem for me in that regard, plus I had everybody, you know, in that life wanted to be part of that business, and I had told my boss at the time, I said, look, if you start to open the door here for everybody, we're going to blow this. If it's my deal. I'm going to take care of you really well. I said, you're going to become wealthy over this, but we have to keep it within our own family. We can't let outside people get in, and so that was a problem, so, you know, there's always the, the other side of this, and... um You know, at one point in time, guys, I mean, the operation was becoming so big, I knew I had to take a fall, but, you know, I always thought of it this way, it's a crazy way of thinking, but... I said, you know, if I stop this now, somebody else is going to pick it up, and this money belongs to me, and why should I give it away, and you get as much trouble for a billion dollars as you do for a million, so I may as well keep going, and that was in mentality at that time, and, you know, it was only a matter of time, it, it, the operation got too big, and what happened, um, and, you know, I had other things going on, but the gas business was really my calling card, I mean, I had two auto dealerships, I had a movie production company, I had a number of restaurants that I owned, I had a big gambling operation, you know, I had 13 bookmakers working for me, so, you know, I was just into a lot of things, but, um, you know, I knew eventually I was going to fall, and and my partner in the gas business, he and I devised the whole scheme, he eventually turned informant, got in trouble on an unrelated matter and turned informant against me, and that's when things started to, uh, to really take another turn.
1: It's interesting to hear you describe that. I didn't mean to interrupt here. We're up against the we're up against the bottom of the hour break here. Um, mm-hmm. but, but folks, no, no. D- just to be clear, I, I don't want to mispronounce your name, Michael Frenzies, right? Frenzies. You got it. That's it. Okay. All right. Frenzies. I, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> he got gone from gone from made essentially made man a a, a criminal in in obviously Um to, to to a motivational speaker, someone who understands. How to get out of that life? How important it is to get out of the life of crime, and and he's become a motivational speaker. He's going to be in in the UK or in Europe uh, here later this week. I mean, he travels all over the world, educates people, informs, inspires people. This man in his cell, as he as he stated, uh, uh, read the Bible, took more notes of the Bible, you know, uh, more notes than scripture, more handwritten notes than scripture. And how many? You know what? How many of us? can actually say that we've done that as Christians. So, he's someone uh, certainly to look up to in that respect, looking at the Bible, walking the walk, understanding, studying the word of God. And then we get people it. will say, "Well, I wasn't in prison for
3: for 3 years. I didn't have the, you know, it wasn't just me and my Bible in a room. I didn't have the time." <laughs> yeah, to there's no excuse. Well, thank um, thank God for that. Well, I know cuz I, I I've <laughs> thought like that before. I know how that mentality is that well, you know, well, if I had the time, I could do it. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Okay. And that never be an excuse, folks. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman Report. When wow. we come back, we're going to continue talking with Michael Franzis about his walk in, in his change from organized crime um, to living a life serving Jesus and, and teaching and helping others. Um, he's the author of several books. Go to michaelfranzese.com. That's michael, F R A N Z E S E.com. You can go to the Hagman Report. And in today's write-up for the show, or the week in review for the show, uh, his links are in there. And uh, check out some of his books. Um, he's got an autobiography, Blood Covenant, as well as I'll Make You an Offer You Can't Refuse. We'll be right back with Michael Franzese after these short messages. Stay with us.
6: We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Army Kit. It contains 12 homeopathic remedies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Army's kit at www.changelessalwoods.com. Your life may depend on it.
1: This edition of the Hagman the Hagman Report. We are so blessed and so lucky to have with us uh, Michael Francis. He's, he's a he's an author. He's a he's got a he's got a personal story that will just leave you stunned, as it's uh, reflected in his autobiography, Blood Covenant. He you know he's he's a motivational speaker. He's an informational speaker. He travels around the world. Um, he survived multiple grand juries, multiple federal investigations uh prison i mean this this gentleman has has been through it and has the scars to prove it and yet now he's uh his life is uplifting others helping others out well just <sighs> He's an inspiration to others, and and I read his book Blood Covenant. It was a while because I, I had it on the bookshelf, and I and I read it this this weekend again, and it was like reading it for the first time. It was just an amazing story. Um, it's incredible. Blood Covenant is the name of the book, but he's he's got others. Go to HagmanReport.com, dot com. Click on the find the Old Time Radio, and then click on the link to uh, today's uh, today's show, and you'll you'll find the link to his website and his books. Before we get back to our guest, let me ask the people out there who are in charge of hiring, are you hiring? And if you are, do you know where to, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Well, posting your job in one place is not enough folks to find the quality candidates you need. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all of the top job sites. And now you can with ziprecruiter.com. You can post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city, any industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. We used it. It's easy to see. Look, I've used it, and if I can use it, let me tell you, you can too. It it beats the fact that uh, no juggling emails and no calls to your office. You can rapidly screen candidates. You can rate them and hire the right person very quickly. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium sized businesses right now. Listeners to this program can post their jobs, your jobs, on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ziprecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ziprecruiter.com slash free trial. One more time to try for free, go to ziprecruiter.com slash free trial. Again, it's, uh, it's really a, uh, a, a, Pleasure to use, as we have used it. Our guest is Michael Franzese. Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you. To, to.
3: yeah, his website is michaelfranzese.com. Go to hagmanreport.com and check out um, either the Reddit for tonight or the Reddit for the week. You can get the links right there. Uh, if you can't find the site, and uh, again, check out his books. He also uh, does a number of speaking engagements um, all across the the U.S. and the world. Uh, as you said, being a motivational speaker and helping others. Michael, I want to ask you this uh, in this segment. Um, what advice would you give to people who find themselves in bad situations, whether they're in jail, whether they're um, people who are struggling in the situations they're in, feeling hopeless, uh, feeling like there's no way out? What advice would you give to them?
0: Well, you know, I, I don't know how you deal with these things without, you know, having faith in God that uh, that there's a reason for all of these things that we go through and that, that God really does have our backs and. You know, even through the worst struggles, he's there, and, and ultimately it's going to work out. And I know it's very hard, believe me, when I was in prison. And, and by the way, I don't I don't recommend anybody going to jail for and being in a hole for a number of years to come to the Lord. Uh, but I will tell you this, you know, the flip side of that is I believe with all my heart that had that not happened to me, I wasn't brought to my knees and and really broken in many ways, I would have never accepted Christ because I was too much a product of that life. I was too much in control of myself. Had I stayed on the street, I would have never gone the distance. And so sometimes in the worst of our times is when we finally turn to God and allow Him to do His work in us. So I tell people that all the time. I said, "Look, use me as an example." Um, I never thought I was going to get out of prison. I didn't know how this was going to work out. I mean, when they when they arrested me on that violation, they said, "I'll never see the street again." I was a direct quote, and uh God ultimately had another plan. And, and I tell you, I've I visited prisons like Angola. I've been in Cook County Jail recently, where guys are there for life. And they've accepted Christ, and I've never seen such a... Talk about my life. I mean, I'm out, and I'm free, and I have a life. But these guys are so at peace with themselves, knowing that, you know, ultimately they're gonna they're gonna be in in heaven with the Lord, whatever happens with their case. It's amazing to witness and to see. And I've never seen any kind of transformation or or peace in people's hearts like I have when they've accepted Christ and even in the worst of situations. I can go on and on about that, you know, things that I've witnessed over the years, especially because I deal with people that are that are broken and struggling, and and have come to the Lord, and, and they've been transformed. So I tell people that I don't have a crystal ball. I I don't tell you that uh, you know you accept Christ and everything and all of a sudden is going to change miraculously for you. It's it's not that way. Many times, and the Bible never tells us that. I tell people you know. We live in the real world and God never promised us heaven on earth. He promised us heaven in heaven. Uh, but he did promise that he'll get us through our struggles and, and emotionally and mentally something happens. You change when you have this relationship with the Lord. And, um, you know, that's what happened to me. And that's the advice I give to people. You want to, you want to see a transformation. You, you get into this relationship with Jesus and, uh, it'll be a transformation of mind and heart and, uh, and things will start to take a turn for you. You can't help it. He, he, he changes you and transforms you from the inside out. And there's a peace that comes over you, even through the worst times. And, you know, being in that hole for all those years, not knowing if I was going to get out or not for quite a while, and thinking that I lost everything, without having him, um, I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have came out of there the way I did.
3: Okay. I, um, I think I know the answer to this, but the what you went through, do you have any regrets? Um about before you were saved and and you found the lord uh or do you are are you of the mindset that if you didn't go through what you went through you wouldn't be where you are today
0: no you know what guys look i, I can't sugarcoat anything you know I, I was a made man in that life for you know 20 years and you know recruit for several years before that and and i did things that i regret you know and even i was a criminal I mean, I was, you know, I lived every day violating both God's laws and the laws of man. And I, I did it knowingly and I did it willingly. And, you know, there were times when I did things that, you know, maybe I was ordered to do, or maybe I did on my own that I was uncomfortable with. I, I wasn't feeling good about what I did, but I did it anyway. Um, and I regret that, you know, I, I regret some of the things that that took place. And, um, you know, am I saying that if I never went into that life, I would have never accepted the Lord? Well, I don't know that. You know, maybe maybe it would have happened a different way. So I mean, I regret those things, because um, you never want to be part of something that's that hurts people. Um, and, and I was. I mean, you can't sugarcoat it. Even, even though, you know, in that life, I tell people, you know, we justify that life. Um, because when we come into it, we say, listen, the playing field is, is equal for all of us. We have rules and policies to follow. If we make a mistake and we violate the rules, well, we can pay for it, you know, with serious consequences, maybe with our lives. And it might be your best friend that you're called upon to do that, and it might be him that's called upon to do that with you if you violate. So you kind of justify it in that way. It doesn't make it right. It's just the way we deal with it when we're part of that life.
1: The, the, that's an amazing. I just, I just want to say that to me that, that that's an amazing um, assessment. I, I don't know how else to describe it because uh, we've got so many people out there listening to this broadcast that that. Well, I think, I think, I think you've just, I think you've touched a lot of people by by what you just said. I, I'm just not gonna. I, I'll just leave it at that. Because a lot of people, well, you know, a lot of people live in regret, don't they?
0: Well, yeah, you know, and, and regrets and, and guilt, you know, to me, that's definitely a tool of the enemy. You know, you're not good enough. You're, what you've done will never be forgiven. Um, you know, you're a bad person. You'll never get over that. I've heard so many people say that they can't forgive themselves. Well, you know what? God's forgiving us. Um, it's hard to get over. It took me a long time, you know, to, uh, to realize that I really was forgiven. You, you don't do what I do, did. And get on your knees say a prayer and think it's all over no it's it's it doesn't work that way at least it didn't for me it took me a long time and it took me a long time to realize that the entire message of the bible the entire message of the cross is about god's forgiveness and mercy and you know i always say this too we can't pull a scam on god i mean i pulled a lot of scams on the street but he knows our hearts and if we are sincere and we we ask for forgiveness and we accept our lord then it's so crystal clear that we are forgiven and um you know i tell people that you know a lot of times guys i've been compared to paul the apostle and i think there's a valid capacity comparison in one way and that is i was a bad guy and god was able to turn that around i mean i might have been you know certainly wherever i speak i tell people all the time at one point in time in this setting i was the worst guy in the room because i did what i did knowingly and willingly i was a, i was a voluntary sinner um, and God chose to, to, to give me his grace and mercy. Now, I don't like the other comparison because Paul was one of the greatest people that God used ever, you know, in the Bible. So I, I stopped it being, you know, the worst of the worst like that, but I, I, you can't compare anything that I'm doing to what Paul the Apostle did. But, um, I say that to people because I want them to be, to understand if God, if you believe God worked in my life, well, what what are you worried about? I mean, come on, this is this is proof of, of His forgiveness and His mercy. And uh, it encourages people, you know, it, it really does, because I, I tell you, in the last three or four years traveling the country, um, this is not our grandfather's America anymore. I see a lot of people struggling with a lot of different issues, and they need encouragement, and they need hope. And I tell them straight out, you know, me on my own, I can't encourage you or give you hope. But what's happened in my life through the Lord, that should be encouragement and hope to all of you. And and, and they need it, and they want to hear it. And I think a lot of people have you know, went in that direction because of it. You,
1: you know, I, I thank you for that. And I, I, in your book, um, Blood Covenant, book two, The New Life in Christ, if I can just reference this, uh, I especially got a lot out of that, well, book two, Starting with the first chapter. And, um, if I can just, uh, uh, I, I know this is kind of the middle of a, middle of the book here and, and people might not be aware of what I'm, what I'm asking here or what I'm saying here, but, but you write your first sentence and that is, so I was now a true Christian believer or was I? And I just, something resonated with that question because I know that there are a lot of people out there who have gone through what they've gone through. Whether it's willful sin or whatever, they're carrying around that guilt, as you mentioned, and then they turn their life around, and then they say, "Okay, you know, I'm, I'm a true believer now, I'm a true Christian." But then, wait a minute, am I? Can you speak to that? Because I, there's just something about that that I just find really interesting, and maybe that's just a uh, kind of a lopsided question on my part. But uh, I just, I just, I don't know that 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 seemed to resonate with me a little bit.
0: Well, no, I think that's a very valid question because, you know, I was unsure myself because, yeah, I accepted Christ, but initially I accepted Christ because I wanted my sins forgiven. That was it. And I'll never forget, my mother-in-law said to me, you know, you have to surrender your life to Jesus. Well, I couldn't process that part. I mean, I was a mob guy. That was my mentality. I was a leader in the the world that I was in. Uh, I was always in control of myself, so I thought, so... Surrendering my life, uh, I didn't get that because I had to be in control of my life. I had to work things out. And um, so, was I really a Christian at that point? I, I don't know. Uh, did I believe in Jesus? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they always say the devil believes in Jesus. And what happens is this, you know, very interesting question uh, um, during a sermon at my church with uh, uh, Pastor Gene Appleham. Uh, one of the questions or one of the sermons was on uh, can you ever lose your salvation? And I, I found that really fascinating because I wanted to know that. And and the bottom line is, the way it was summed up, well, were you really saved to begin with? And that's the question: Were you really saved? Yeah, you can say I've accepted Christ, and you can go to church, and you can you know, you can read the Bible every once in a while. But were you really saved? Did you really surrender your life to Jesus? Because when you do that. You absolutely are a transformed person. I'm not saying you're not a sinner. We're all still sinners, and we're all going to fall. But when we do, uh, you know, you have this, this feeling about you that you want to get on your knees. You want you know you're violating the Lord's principle. You want to get on your knees, and you want to be forgiven. And there's a real deep feeling in your heart where you know that you love the Lord. And, um, you know, I've experienced that. I've experienced it over the years it, it didn't happen easily but you know I tell people this and this is hard for me to say but you know I, I try to get my point across you know there's that saying out there that the sins of the father fall on the on the son the children well, I have seven kids I've been blessed with seven children I have five grandchildren now and my prayer every night I have the same prayer and that is you know among others Lord don't ever let the sins that I committed to him I fall on every, any one of my children. And uh, he's honored that in a big way. And, you know, even if that were to happen, though, I might get angry with God. Uh, who knows? I mean, I might turn away for a minute or something, but I could never disbelieve him because for me the evidence is too powerful and my relationship there over the years has grown to a point where he's as real to me as anything else so but that takes time that takes nourishment that takes you know being in the word it takes being in church it takes surrounding yourself you know with the right people that also love the Lord because we live in this world with so many distractions so much negativity you know I tell our young people you have more distractions at your fingertips than I ever had as a kid growing up. And the enemy is out there all the time trying to separate us from God in different ways. This is a rough world to navigate. And you have to stay in the Word. You have to be nourished. And when you do that, you know, the Lord comes stronger into your heart. You develop this kind of Jesus conscious. And that's when you know, I don't believe I can ever lose my salvation because I really, I've really accepted Christ. I don't believe I can lose it. I don't think I can do anything in my heart that would allow me to lose my salvation. So, you know, I tell people that, um, but I say, but guys and ladies, you, you got to do the work. You know, you got to be in the Word. you got to be in church. But so many guys come to me, like, I don't have to go to church. Church is in my house. Well, you know what? Church is not in your house. Church is in church. Church is where you, you know, go and sing worship music and, and give praise and honor and glory of God. It's where you hear a, a, a message from the pastor that, that prepares us for all the stuff we have to deal with during a week. It where you, you know, you're in fellowship. You have a cup of coffee in the back of the church with people that love the Lord. You get into a small group. All this stuff is vital. For me, it's more vital than anybody else. Uh, you know, God is, He's done a lot for me because I need to be in church every weekend as much or more than anybody, even though I'm there speaking. Um, I need it. And, uh, I tell people that this is a rough world to navigate and, and, and you gotta, you gotta stay closer to the Lord.
1: It, it, you make such a great point, and and I love the way you frame that answer. Because when I when I, when I asked that question, when I first read that read that first statement of book two in, in your book Blood Covenant, I I, I just re, I'm reminded of how you navigated through the story throughout the, through your autobiography, and you're correct. That's the question. Um, you know the. Um, I was. I was asking the wrong question, I guess. Well, you had written kind of the wrong question and then developed that through your story. And I thought that was just fantastic mm-hmm. because so many people, I mean, so many people, uh, um, yeah, it, you're exactly right in that. And, and Joe over here is bugging me. He, he wants to ask you about your relationship with your father. Uh, go ahead. I don't, don't let me put words in your mouth there, but, uh, uh, Joe, go ahead. Yeah. How did, um, how did your relationship with your father
3: and and um I guess the the falling out uh was that something that helped you move away uh from the life that you were in? Um or did it make it that much harder?
0: Joe, sure, that was a critical, critical it's a critical question and a critical issue in my life because I told you a little early about that experience I had when I walked into that room. I didn't know I was gonna walk out again. Well, um to further that, um my dad in a way betrayed me that night. In a big way, and up to that point, uh, he and I were both captains in the family. Up to that point, uh, you know, we were very tight, and I was stunned when I heard that happened. And um, I didn't do anything about it at the time because, you know, in that life, you learn you don't talk about things, you keep your mouth shut, and you know, just see what happens in the future. The worst thing you do, you don't have you don't have a you know slip of tongue in that life. And, um, but I say this, you know, it was a year and a half to two years later that I met my wife. But if that incident didn't happen where my dad betrayed me, I don't know if I would have ever walked away from the life. And I looked at that as God's preparation. Uh, not that he caused my father to betray me, but he used that in saying, well, you know, your heavenly father on earth could make a mistake too. I'll never make a mistake. So when i walk away my dad does go along with the contract um we don't speak for 10 years after it becomes pretty clear that i wasn't testifying against anybody i wasn't going to hurt anybody even though i was sending messages back the fbi did me really dirty they put my name on the witness list of trials coming up in new york so even though i was telling people from prison i'm not going to hurt anybody nobody believed because they saw my name there in there and discovery and and you know you walk away and everybody figured you're an informant wasn't true, so I had to deal with that. But um, it wasn't ten years later that my dad sent for me, and he said, "I need to see you." He was out on parole, and I said, "Okay." And he said, "I want to meet you in such and such a place." And I said, "Dad, I won't meet you there. I'll meet you at your house." Because honestly, I didn't trust him. Uh, I said, "I'll meet no. you at your house." Oh yeah. Wow. I said, "And we're going to meet." He said, "Well, you know, you're on parole, and I'm on parole, and it's a violation." Um, I said, Well, I'll meet you at five in the morning, I don't care what time, and I know how to shake the ball, so don't worry about it, I'll be alone. And I met him at the house and um, you know, he looked at me, it was it was amazing guys. First thing he says to me when I want to walk in the door, if you would have listened to me, you would have been the boss of the Colombo family. And I, I said, Dad, are you like in a twilight zone or something? I said, you know, I, I said, I serve a different boss now. And he said, You know, that this Bible stuff is real, you know, I said, Yeah, it's real. And then we started talking. Um, Flip to this, and, you know, I love my dad. You know, I forgave him. Um, I understood the fact that he, you know, went along with the contract, believe it or not, because, you know, when you come into that life, you're also told, it's not about father and son anymore. It's about this life. And that gets indoctrinated into your brain. So, you know, I'm a bad guy. I'm going to be hurting people. Contract on my life. He went along with it. I got it because I was one of those guys. So I understood, even though I didn't like it. And I felt a bit betrayed by him, but I didn't turn it on him. And, um, you know, my dad, just to let people know, my dad just turned 100 on February 6th. He's 100 years old. He's still in prison. He comes out June 25th of this year. He's the oldest federal inmate in the system, and he's the oldest living made man in America. He's been part of his life over 67 years. He goes back to the days of... With Giotto and Costello, and all of that he's kind of a legend in this life, and we patched it up you know we have we have a good relationship. my dad loves me, and I love him um he hasn't fully accepted the fact as far as he's concerned, I'm still a made guy, you know once you're in, you're in you didn't even though I've kind of renounced the oath um you know he's still talks to me like I'm part of the life, and I, I get it, and I just go along with some of the things that he says, but I've been trying to witness to him, and I think I've gotten through to him in many ways, and I think it might be on his deathbed, he'll accept the Lord, but I, I think that's going to happen. And I'm excited for him to come home in June, you know, so he gets some freedom and, and gets to be with his grandchildren, and, and so on and so forth, so yeah, the, it's that's an amazing evolution.
1: Yeah, that was going to be my ahead? question. That was going to be my next question. Has he met your uh, uh, grandchildren? Obviously, well, has he seen your grandchildren? Met them, held them, um,
0: and all? Well, he's seen his grandchildren. Uh, he hasn't seen uh, his great grandchildren. I have five grandkids now. One on the way. The oldest is four. So it happened in bunches. But uh, he hasn't seen them mm-hmm. yet, and I'm sure he'll, he'll look forward to that. Uh, But you know, guys, another thing, I I try to make this uh, clear to everybody. You know, the mob life, because in Australia in this country, this thing of ours, um, the gang life, they're evil lifestyles. And I want to be clear, I'm not calling the guys evil, because I was one of them, and I, I just happen to be extremely blessed. But the lifestyle is evil, and the reason I say that is, I don't know any family of any member of that life, that hasn't been totally destroyed including my own now not my wife and children praise god but my mother 33 years without a husband she passed away five years ago her relationship with my dad for the last several years i can only describe as being ugly because she blamed him for everything that went wrong in their lives and, and she had a valid reason for doing that my sister dies of an overdose of drugs at the age of 27 My younger sister dies at the age of 40 from, uh, from cancer and she had a very difficult life. She was emotionally not well. My brother, my younger brother, a drug addict for 25 years is now in the witness protection program. And as a result of his turning informant and testifying against my dad, son against went against his own father as a result of his life and. And, you know, one of the biggest issues I have with my dad is he doesn't take responsibility for any of this. Because I said to him, Dad, look what this life did to our family. And his response was, well, I was framed for a crime that I didn't commit. And, guys, I will tell you this. My father did a lot of rough things in his life, and so did I. I went to jail for a crime that I was guilty of. But I will take this to my grave. My father was framed on this bank robbery case. My father was no bank robber. He's done all this time for a crime he didn't commit. I know it for a fact. I investigated the case thoroughly, inside out and upside down. Every witness recanted their testimony. We gave them lie detector tests. We know the FBI was in collusion with some of the witnesses to accept their their you know fraudulent story. And he got convicted for a crime he didn't commit. But I tell him, Dad, but you don't understand. They didn't just pick you out of a hat. This is the lifestyle we live, and as a result of that, yeah, okay, you got framed. We all could get framed. But because of that our family was destroyed and you can't accept that and i you know i guess maybe it's the guilt within him or whatever but that's that's the message i get to these gang bangers. it's the message they get to other guys you're part of an evil lifestyle that's going to destroy your family so at least don't be selfish enough to do that if you're not concerned about yourself okay but you're going to destroy your family you are going to take a lot of people down with you and they don't deserve that and you yeah, know yeah, it's, yeah. it's another thing that resonates
1: Absolutely. Can can, can you stay with us for about another 10 minutes after the break just to tell people what what, what you're going to be talking on? And, 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 because this is so important, folks. I mean, we are so blessed to have this gentleman with us. Joe, I mean, his lifestyle before, but, but, but his story is just an inspiration to me. Absolutely, it is. And there
3: are a lot of people who are still, you know, stuck in bad situations, um, with bad habits and, uh, maybe you're trying to, to get out of that and um, listen to what this man's saying from his own testimony and how uh, you can go from one side of the spectrum to to the other and, and have the Lord with you. We're talking with Michael Franzese, his website, michaelfranzese.com. We'll be right back uh, with Michael after this short break. Stay with us.
4: Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com.
3: report. Our guest right now is Michael Franzese. Go to michaelfranzese.com and check out his website. He's got uh you can get his books from there. You can um, find out about Michael. He's got audio, uh video, other clips on there, other TV art and TV interviews and articles. Uh it's a very interesting site and again, check out his books. He's he's written
1: a number of books. Uh the one you had that Blood Covenant? Yes. Yes. And I got that um this is actually the updated version of the initial version, so I think it's probably, what, 12 years old now. I don't know, but it's still relevant and still good. In,
3: in his latest book, I'll Make You an Offer You Can't Refuse. <laughs> uh, before I forget, Michael, I want to ask you this. So, um, our, How can our audience help you? Yes,
1: in terms of your advancing your ministry.
0: Well, you know, um, I believe very strongly in the power of prayer. I have uh, thousands of people prayer, praying for me. I don't ever... You know, finish a uh, an engagement without asking for prayer because I, I I know I need it and um, I believe in it. Um, you know, basically that's it, guys. I mean, I, I have a five hundred one c three, but I'm certainly not out there soliciting people. But um, people at times want to help, especially with the youth ministry. Um, you know, you can do that through my website if you if you feel moved to. But God is is very good and He's taking care of me in many ways. So um, you know, I don't worry about that. Uh, but really, prayer and uh, and just support the ministry uh, in prayer as often and as much as you can. And I think uh, I, I think that's that's kind of carried the day over the past twenty years.
1: And you know, I and, and I am telling you, folks, um, I would endorse uh, contributing to Michael's ministry over any other television preacher, over anyone else. He is to me he's a true he's a true. Preacher of the gospel. I mean, he's out there. He's 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 been through the the mill. He's come out of the. He's come out on the other side. He's lived it. He knows what it's like. But but, but he he's he's changed his life, and he's now he's making a difference in other people's lives. And well,
3: we talk about this on the show quite a bit. We do not to jump in, but no, it's fine. interesting how how God uses people um, who've had who have had and been on the other side. Have had shady pasts. Have had uh, you know lived a life that. Doesn't recognize God really in any capacity, and then to to for that conversion, um, and, and it's amazing. I, I don't know about you, Michael, but I go through it sometimes. You know, not wondering why, you know, why me, and um, the, you know, a number of different thoughts go through my head in that regard. Um, but God will use who who He needs uh, in in that time, and um, we have to be open um, to to receive the Lord and the Holy Spirit and. Um, I think it adds a lot of character when people have that, that background that many other people don't have, um, you know, being on the other side of the law, being on the other side of of the faith, and then that conversion. It kind of gives you a, a whole picture, um, a better picture than, than what some people have, and I think it helps um, people utilize uh, their ability to help people because there are a lot of people who, uh, you know, all of, just about every Christian I know has... Times in their life that they've been through some bad, bad times. They've they've sinned willfully. They've done things they're not proud of, and I think it, it speaks volumes to the power of redemption and mercy uh, that the Lord shows His believers.
1: Amen to that. We got uh, a, a there's question. There's no doubt about that.
3: Oh, we we got a question from uh, one of our listeners, Maggie. She she wanted to know: Have you uh, had a chance, or have you talked to Rudy, Rudy Giuliani since um, you found the Lord?
0: You know, I have. Uh, It was several years ago, and, um, you know, it was amazing. Rudy um, was one of the people when, you know, it became public that I was walking away and that I was, you know, out there speaking and telling my story. Uh, A lot of people knocked that from the media and said, you know, he'll never change. It's an act and all of this kind of stuff. And Rudy was one guy that that, uh, I'll never forget. They interviewed him, and he said, you know what, I I think this might be real. He said, you know, Michael, uh, he's a smart guy. This was Rudy's assessment, and he said, uh, I think he realizes this life is over, and I think this, this transition might be real. So he said that, and I was, I was pretty surprised by it. But uh, I always tease him, though, when I seen him the last time, and the only time I said, Rudy, I want to remind you of one thing. He said, what's that? I said, out of all the indictments you brought forward, I was the only one that beat you. <laughs> and he kind of <laughs>, laughs at that. And uh, he said, well, you know what, I guess it's a good thing because you're out there doing the right thing now. And uh, so it was nice. But, you know, he's a gentleman. I'll tell you what, he was a great mayor of New York, um, and he was also a good prosecutor. Michael Ray Adam, uh who did the job on, on my former uh, life and... Uh, he certainly turned the city of New York around, so uh.
1: indeed he indeed he did and and that was an interesting yeah. question i yeah, I was kind of curious about the answer myself uh but an interesting uh question because there are uh, and i've known in in our work as investigators i've known accused meeting uh prosecutors and uh it, sometimes it doesn't go as well as that, of course, you know. But uh, I'm glad to hear that. Um, anything that you would like to leave our audience with? I know that you've got some some uh, tiring trips coming up here. You're going to be going overseas and such. But anything you'd like to leave our audience with? Uh, the, the floor is yours here. Uh, any closing?
0: You know, comments? again, um, you know, again, my my ministry, my. Uh, my whole life right now is really i think the purpose god has given me is to encourage people and to give them hope and to let them understand that you know through christ uh there is always hope and whatever that hope might be whether it might be now or in the future or in the next in in the kingdom but there's always hope it's real And uh, I tell people, don't give in to their situation, don't give up. You know, one of the things I I love to tell people, those those that have come out of a bad situation and still haven't found their purpose in life, because you find your purpose in God's time when He feels you're ready. And, um, you know, ex-drug addicts, ex-gambling addicts, I always tell them, you know, who better than you to minister to people that are going through that situation? Uh, then you—you've been there, you've done that, you have credibility. You know, it's like with me when I talk to these gang bankers, and and you have to see these guys—it's amazing. I go into Cook County Jail, and I'm speaking to everybody on the tier, a hundred guys that are in there for murder, and they they listen to me as if you know I, I can't explain it because in their view, I've been there, I've done that. They look at my former life as the ultimate gang life. I've survived that life, so what I'm saying must be true, because I know everything they're going through. I said, guys, there's nothing you're going to go through that I haven't been through already that I don't understand. I know everything that you're doing, dealing with uh, on a minute-by-minute basis in this place. And when you have credibility with people and you've overcome situations, they look at you and they listen, they pay attention. And so I try to tell people, you know, don't ever be discouraged by what you went through in the past, and don't ever think that God won't use your past to benefit, you know, His His purpose for you in the future. So it's all about being encouraged, being uh, hopeful, and turning towards the Lord. And uh, that's always my, uh, you know, my advice to everybody and anybody that I speak to. Because, you know, guys, I do take this very seriously. You know, when I'm speaking, I'm not there to entertain people, and I'm not there just uh uh, you know, I request. I'm there because uh, I have a job to do, and that is to plant seeds in the hearts of people, so the Lord can nourish them and, and use them for His witness. And, and that's it.
1: So that's a very important job, and, and I know that one that you take very seriously. Did, did, does your does your wife go with you as well, minister?
0: She does, you know, quite often, uh, because, you know, there's a lot of places that have brought me back, you know, three, four, five times. And, and I say, guys, uh, you know, why don't we bring my wife in here? There's a different dynamic between the two of us uh, hearing what she went through. And I would say this, you know, I might have a story, but think of her story. Twenty years old when I meet her has no clue what she's going going to go through. Um, gets it with a ton of baggage out of nowhere. Practically, we were only married four months before I went away, and you know her being told that uh that I would never last, that I was going to get killed. You know, five years in prison. You know, running around to see me, and and they're transporting me all over the country. I come out. We're on parole for thirteen months. We have a, a really tough time. Uh, Then I got violated, I go back in again, she hangs in there, I mean, her story is is incredible for a young girl, and she'll tell you, as much as I love my husband, um, if if God wasn't in the foundation of our marriage, I wouldn't have made it through, and she's very honest about that. So, she does travel with me, and and I think that people are really blessed from hearing us both together, and... uh, so that happens, and uh, I'm glad she supports me in that regard. For a long time, she didn't feel that that was her role. She felt, you know what, that's your job to be out there. My job is to is to keep you in prayer and take care of the house and the kids. But she's felt, uh, now that my kids are older, she she feels another calling on her life. And praise God for that, because she's been a tremendous witness.
1: Michael friends I'm sorry. Francis. Francis. I'm sorry, I, I mispronounced your name. One we wish you, you, you know, yeah. I, I, I only, I only read your read your book this weekend and said your name about 50 times today, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> That's you <not> know, right. <laughs> you could tell. Uh, it, well, anyway, I, I just want to say thank you so much for being um, an inspiration to so many people out there, and for doing what you do. Um, I, I mean, really, you're you're a true. Uh, I mean, to me, you you are a true minister i don't know how else to put it but i look at you and i look at a, at a man who's got a ministry and a word and uh, your word does mean a lot and i just want to say thank you for doing what you do because you certainly could be doing other things and you're not and praise god for that
0: well thank you guys and thank you for giving me this platform so that, that people can realize the power of the lord in someone's life and uh I appreciate it, and you know, maybe we'll do it again one time. And absolutely, and uh, we just continue.
1: We're going to be praying for you. Uh, we're going to be praying for you and your wife, your family, your children, your grandchildren, your dad. Uh, it's going to be a great day when when you see him again. Um, yes. And uh, just please travel safe, and uh, and yeah, come, come back we, and visit. Yeah, we can do this again in the future. Amen.
0: Will do, guys. Thank you very much. And uh, take care and God bless.
1: God bless. Wow, folks. Uh, What what a great man. I I mean, to me, his book, uh, well, the book that I read, and he's got others, but the book I read, Blood Covenant, you know, there's so much. You deal with so many bad, you see so much bad in the world, right? And you think, wow, it's just pervasive all over the place. And then you meet a man like this. It's no accident that these programs are being laid out this way. John, thank you so much. John Robertson, thank you so much. Bill McIntosh from Ocasa Media, thank you so much. Of course we had a we you know, in an earlier segment we had the uh, John Kelly, the 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 uh, profiler. Then we have Michael, Fran Zeese, Zees. Right. And
3: this is somebody that John's been wanting to get on our show for a while.
1: Um
0: it's if you remember
3: something. um a year ago. Yeah. Uh, he mentioned it to us. He said, "You know, uh, this is somebody my dad's booked for for events and and uh, speaking engagements, and you really got to have this guy on your show." And uh, so, thank you, John, so much
1: for you know for spending and, over a year. <laughs> yeah, and thank you, Bill McIntosh from Okasa Media, and, and uh, folks. Again, you know, there are many people that are working to make this program what it is, and uh, it dis- in spite of us, which thank you. And uh, Bill McIntosh is one of them. And if you uh, do need a fascinating speaker for your next conference, please give him a call, Acasa Media. Um, he's a gracious man, and we owe him a lot. His phone number is 305-396-2806. Again, 305-396-2806. Uh, and his website's pictured right there. Um, or his, uh right, there it is right there on, on YouTube. But, you know, it's... Uh, it, it, our, our last guest a very fascinating man and you have to read the book i guess i'm my, my mind is still in that book because the situations he describes in that book i'm thinking you know how could anyone um not become like a congressman after after that <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's a good point a- anyway you know you know what i'm talking about and then just uh before we
3: we move on um tomorrow uh Today we have my, Michael Franzese. Tomorrow we have Joe Pistone. Um, I don't know how many people are familiar with Donnie Brasco, the movie or the story, um, but real life Donnie Brasco, he's played by Johnny Depp in the movie Donnie Brasco. He infiltrated the mafia as an undercover FBI agent and got to the highest ranks uh, as an, in the mafia as an FBI agent. Uh, Joe Pistone will be on with us tomorrow. So it's kind of worked out uh, really well as far as... Um, Getting you know back to back, and I was wa- I was telling I was watching a documentary earlier, and uh, both Michael Franzese and Joe Pistone were on the documentary uh, pretty much the whole time, and it's interesting how uh, that lines up where we're having them on one after the other, and yeah. also on Friday yeah. we're going to have Roger Stone on. Yes, he's going to be joining yes. us uh, uh, for an hour on Friday. We got a, a fantastic week lined up for you, uh, really for the rest of the month. So uh, make sure you tune in. But yeah, tomorrow. Uh, Joe Pistone, the, who is Donnie Brasco, uh, as an undercover FBI agent who infiltrated the mafia. It's going to be very interesting. And,
1: and you know, what John and I were talking earlier today, and, and again, he's done so much to, to get these guests uh, lined up, and, and we were talking, um, and, and he said, it's kind of a heavy week in terms of you've got profilers and then you've got the the mob. Well, you know, it's kind of a diversion from, from a news Kind of program, news-oriented program, but when you look at you look at the mob, for example, you look at uh, people like our, our previous guest, and you look at Don uh, Donnie Brasco. Isn't this what we're seeing in the larger sense, though, it, it, taking place? Isn't what we're seeing uh, with respect to our government the the, the 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 new world order, as it's called, the deep state? Don't they operate in the same fashion? Don't isn't isn't mm-hmm. this? Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, this is ripping out a, pl- a page of the, of the playbook of, of these, these these gentlemen.
3: And I really wanted to, uh, with, with Michael, I really wanted to to expand further on, you know, how he, he stated his uh, disdain for the government. Yeah. I, I really wanted to explore that more. Yeah. But that really yeah. wasn't the, the topic that we were going to get into. Um, I mean, because there's a lot of stuff going on today. And then we could have taken it into current events in the spiritual state of the country. But, um, but you I know, think he got his
1: message across. Yes. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Uh, I mean but you know,
3: our the spiritual state of this country is is being shredded um oh. from the, the people and, and uh them moving away from from uh faith. What was it, seventy percent of, of Americans polled said that they were Christians? Yeah, I, I, I find it's very hard to believe when we see um I mean I guess you could say you're a Christian, if you're active or not,
1: uh, that's a different story. But we, you know, I saw a story today, and church attendance down though, as as Michael was saying, um, how could you not go to church? But the on Drudge, well, there was a link on Drudge. It was only on there for a while, I think. Maybe it could still be on there. I don't know. But uh, among millennials, church attendance is virtually non-existent.
3: Yeah, and we we got a lot, um, we got a lot of news to get into. I know we're not going to have a lot of time throughout the rest of the week to get into some of this stuff. Um, but I saw a story today. I think going to have to go back and find it and then we'll really get into it. But there was a school, I believe schools in California were allowing, um, Muslim prayers to be done during this, during the same, the same school that banned Bible reading and prayer groups after yes. school is allowing Muslims to pray and encourage buying them prayer rugs and bringing them into the schools to pray during schools. And that just goes to the hypocrisy,
1: um, Isn't this what we're we're seeing, the the prayers for the first time in the Vatican now? That was announced today. I don't know how many people saw that. Yeah, I Uh, I don't know. But um,
3: I guess what I was saying with that is uh, if that's the case, and i got to get the the details on that story because I skimmed over it just before we went on air. My question is, and I guess I'm posing this as a question, should Christians do what we've seen all throughout the country? Should we take it to court? And sue, you know, you have the ACLU suing to get um, Bible reading and, and prayer groups taken out of schools. Yet you don't see anything um, when for either fear or uh, people don't care. And, and I guess my question uh, from opposing the the Muslim prayer in schools or fighting to allow Christian prayers back into schools, whether it's not part if it's not part of the curriculum, if it would be some kind of after-school program, or if it can be uh, you know done in in groups during school, but Why don't Christians fight and and come after, uh, you know, fight for equality or anti-discrimination like we see these other religions or people or organizations doing? That's my question. If a nation is 70% Christian, where is the backbone to stand up to, you get kicked out of, you know, your kid's not allowed to pray in school or bring Bibles to school. Right. Uh, this court decision, we'll say last year, and then this year they're allowing Muslims to pray in school, and, and we'll say encouraging, you know, Muslim prayer groups during or after school. Where is the, the outcry and the outrage from Christians? Where is the, the fight for your faith to be allowed back into schools? Because I can see if it was just a blanket, um, policy on any religion being in schools. But when you start to let one religion get away with things others aren't doing in a public setting, why are we not seeing pushback from the Christian Church? That's my
1: my question. And, and that's a that's a very interesting question. Um, is it is it of
3: is it really not seventy percent of Christians out there? Or do they not well, want to fight for the equality? Uh, and I know a lot of a lot of Christians are you know more easygoing and forgiving and yeah. not wanting the the um, the struggle or whatever, but. At some time, at some point, we have to take a stand.
1: And you know, I seriously—I was waiting for you to bring that up. I was wondering how long. Here, it is. Texas high school opens yeah. Muslim prayer room after
3: the ACLU fought to keep Christian prayer out. This is on JihadWatch.org. Right. For Especially decades, the ACLU and allies uh, allied groups fought to get Christian prayer out of American public schools. They were successful, but now prayer is coming back into the schools as long as it's Islamic prayer and it seems fine with everyone uh, the article goes on to talk about it, this is enforcing pre- principles of Sharia that Muslims have rights and privileges which non-Muslims are not entitled to I guess my question is what is the appropriate course of action and we have to um, in my opinion anybody who's a parent and, and uh, again go to jihadwatch.org and let me pull up this article here I'll post it in our interactive chat on YouTube but um yeah, this is one example of one school in Texas, but this is happening all over the country in places like California and New York City. I saw last week an article about um, that was where they, the prayer rugs were being bought for students inside public schools. So at what point do we say enough is enough and take the um, legal action back uh, against these schools or to fight for Christianity to be allowed? If you're going to allow one, you're going to have to allow the other. It's discrimination otherwise. And that's a fight you that's can easily right. win in a court battle. And if you don't win, it shows the hypocrisy of the courts and the discrimination of the courts, and it would definitely win on appeal. I can't see how it, it
1: could lose all the way up, but um, this goes on to say room in Texas high school. Wait, wait, wait a second, Joe. Let me ask you this, and I want your answer to this. It wouldn't a lot of Christians say, well, we're not to sue others, right? We're not to bring lawsuits against others. It's not, not for to-
3: monetary damages. <clears throat> it's for the right to be able to pray and have equal okay opportunity
1: of okay. to pray in the schools. All right, because I'm sure I I am absolutely sure there are going to be people out there who are going to say, well, we're not to you know just as we're not going to, we're not supposed mm-hmm. to use violence. Certainly, we're not supposed to you know sue anyone. But but go ahead,
3: keep going. Well, this uh, again, go to jihadwatch dot org. Um, there's a prayer room at a Texas High School is raising legal concerns, and the state's attorney general's office and a letter Friday to school district superintendent indicated the school's policy would be neutral towards religion. The Liberty High School's prayer room is dedicated to students who practice Islam, allows the students to pray at the school on Fridays instead of leaving to say their requested prayers. The letter cites the school's own news site, which focused on the prayer room. And they go on to cite, um, in a letter Friday to the Frisco Independent School District, the Texas Attorney General outlined the legal concerns over the prayer room, indicating it may violate the First Amendment's protection of religious liberty. But uh, the bottom line is here: they're saying the Liberty High School's policy should be neutral towards religion. However, it appears that students are being treated different based on their
1: religious belief. But, but see that 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 is under acting under the assumption or under the. Um agreement that islam is a religion when in fact i think the argument can be made clearly that islam is not a religion but a culture which is long for cult but culture that is disguised as a religion and used as a religion when it's convenient that's my view of islam and and perhaps others don't agree with me on that but i think that that's to me that's what's going on but go ahead no, but the, again, this just
3: shows the the hypocrisy in the in the school systems and the government uh, with the ACLU. And uh, I guess it goes back to a question: Are Christians afraid? Are Is they not willing to they? fight? Do they not want to fight? Are, are they, they giving afraid? up? Um, are we going to see some pushback here? So
1: interesting. That's, that's my interesting.
3: One of the things that are going on you're not going to really hear too much about. Um, but it needs to be something that's looked on more because they can't, if they can get Christianity and prayer, Christian prayer groups, after school prayer groups out of the schools and then turn right around in the next year and let open up a room inside the school to let, um, Muslim students leave class to pray during the school day, but turn around and say, you know, they can pray here, but your religion's not welcome here. That's a big problem. And if that's the way that this country's going, if we let them get away with this, um, how long until you know this is a policy that that goes
1: all the way up to? Uh, at what top? point? Do, do, at what point do we stop celebrating Christmas or having Christmas holidays and having uh you know the the Muslim equivalent there are, or not the equivalent but Muslim holidays and in place of Christian holidays? It 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 we this country was founded on on Judeo Christian principles and don't let anyone tell you differently. It's that 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 is it. End the story. When we come back, I, I want to mention something about Josh Tully's uh, uh, YouTube uh, channel and Josh Tully's recent YouTube. I spoke with him today. Also, far, well, I shouldn't say far. Um, it, FBI's Russian influence probe includes a look at far-right news sites. I hate to use that far-right.
3: No, that's, that's good. Did you uh, see that FBI is probing
1: far right? Yeah, yeah, that, that's is what the, I'm referring. Oh, here. I thought you were talking about Josh Talley, No, no, okay. there's two there's two separate issues. But I don't like that that phrase far right. Uh, that, that's that's incorrect, I believe. But and then Oracle goes uh, on Drudge goes to
3: basically say that these websites are are uh, Russian Kremlin bot controlled. That's, right. that's right. There's sites like Infowars, Breitbart, and, Dave Hodges, uh, Common Sense, yeah, and we as
1: well, we've been shadow banned. According to a list uh, on Twitter, the Hagman Report's been shadow banned. So if you don't agree with the, the progressive
3: socialist communist agenda, you're automatically a Russian agent or a far, far right extremist right. with no um, ability or reason to be able to promote your point of view. Folks, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Hagman Report after these short messages. Stay with us. <laughs>
6: We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies Kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Dermes Kit at www.ChangeLosonWoods.com. Your life may depend on it.
1: Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for your belief and your trust in us and in our program. Thanks for your support of our program. Without your support, we could not do what we do. And that goes along to with supporting our, our advertisers. You know, we, we attempt to uh, we attempt to branch out, build out, and cover as much of the news that you're not getting through ordinary channels as possible. But we, we go where the leads take us. We go where the... Um, Evidence takes us, and we, we report back with our findings unfiltered unvarnished truth that's what we attempt to uh to provide to each and every one of you so so thank you so much if you're interested in advertising advertise, um opportunities at hagman and hagman dot com that's opportunities at hagman and hagman dot com or you can go check the advertise with us on our pages and you can see how to advertise if you're a business and um speaking of that, I got an email today. From someone, I, I don't have permission to use her name, except I'll just say Cherie. Uh, she she wrote this. She wrote Doug and Joe. Uh, thanks so much for having Trading Post in the Woods on the show recently. I was so excited to place an order for your endorsement. I spent time on the phone with them today, and they were they were so helpful. I hope they will continue to be your guests on your show. They're very sincere and caring. And there it is. Okay, we do select our, our the people who, who who are our sponsors are, to us, the best of the best. And Trading Post in the Woods is the best of the best. They offer solutions that you will not find elsewhere. You won't find them anywhere else. com. that's their website. And, you know, they've got this um, American Heritage Remedies Kit. As a matter of fact, <laughs> <laughs> that radio silence was me bending over, and... and 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 here it is right here. We use it. Uh, This is phenomenal. They've got numerous uh, vials here. If you're not on video, you can't see this, but uh, things like sick stopper, um, cold sinus, uh, digestive care, and I can go on and on and on. But Trading Post in the Woods, they've got something for everybody and every condition, every malady, every need. That's TradingPostIntheWoods.com. They're carrying people. They know what they're doing and it's kind of like your old grandmother's apothecary. And, uh, okay. TradingPostInTheWoods.com. I, I yeah, want to go ahead. Uh, if we're going to get
3: back in the news, yeah. there's a story that's come up here. It's going to be on, uh, the, uh, the Times in London tomorrow. Global brands shun Google. I'm just going to read the first two paragraphs because they're really important. Um, Global brands, including Volkswagen, Toyota, and Tesco last night, joined the more than 250 companies that have suspended advertising deals with Google as the Internet giant apologized for failing to crack down on extremism. ITV, Ivana, and Heinz also pulled advertising from YouTube. Google's video platform, after an investigation by the Times, found the companies promoted videos posted by hate preachers Hate preachers, okay. Rape apologists and homophobic extremism, or extremist, uh, banned from entering Britain. A growing number of brands have blocked Google or YouTube advertising since the revelation last week, and they go through a list of the companies. Wow, what is this? Lawfare? Is it not lawfare? Well, this is the uh, no. This is censorship more than lawfare, and this is happening in the UK right now and and and, and in Europe. But how long until? Um, some of these major companies in the U.S. do the same thing. I know Europe has much different laws when it comes to hate speech. And so does Canada, by the way. Right. But how, I mean, we don't, we've seen this time and time again. We do not need to have hate speech laws here for um, companies to go after or say that they're withdrawing their, their business from companies like Google. How long before that happens here and Google starts to create their own uh, their own policies? Google, I think it's happening now. They don't have to follow the, the, there doesn't have to be laws in place. They can set their policies as we've seen from Twitter to Facebook to YouTube. They can label things that they deem inappropriate as fake news, as, um, hate speech. And you might not get in any trouble criminally, but you can certainly get in trouble as a business if your message does not align with what Google, how Google wants it to be. I mean, if you're right. opposed right. to the ideology of Google, how long until our YouTube videos or, um, you know, well, anybody and, in the alternative and, media are, are silenced?
1: And, and this is what I want to bring up with Josh Tully's video. Uh, when you're done with that, let me know. No, 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 go ahead. No. Okay, all right. Um, I, I spoke with Josh Tully today. Josh Tully's show is on Little Star Radio Network. He's got a, he's got a huge platform. And folks, he did a. Uh, he did a video. Well, let me just grab, let me just look over here. He did a video. He interviewed a woman. Actually, he had the woman's name and, and, and such on this video since taken off, but, but because of death threats that she got or threats that she received. But he did this in-person video. The video is titled Diseased Refugees Obtaining SSN, meaning Social Security, uh, card numbers and passports upon arrival here in this country. And here's the gist of the video. I, I would recommend you watch this video, but here's the gist of it. He has a whistleblower who attended meetings um, via the United Nations Office of Refugee uh, Monitoring through this at the state level. And she said, look, what I witnessed at these meetings and what I witnessed in real time at airports were commercial airlines bringing in refugees now think of this you've got a normal commercial aircraft that's capable of flying over the Atlantic for example from the Middle East to uh, JFK or from the Middle East to Kansas City all right they're filled with refugees she has witnessed this uh let me just make sure I've got this right here. I've taken I've taken a lot of notes. This is just a kind of a uh, all this is is just really a a couple of scribbles from this video. But what's taking place is this: the there's a, this refugee resettlement taking place at the behest of our powers in Washington D.C. under UN programs in cooperation with various states commercial airlines bringing over hundreds of refugees at a time in commercial aircraft that are disease ridden. According to this source, they've got tuberculosis even in some cases, listen to this leprosy. Um, They've got uh, smallpox polio. Highly infectious, highly contagious diseases. HIV, for example. The majority of these refugees are between the ages of 15 and 45. The flights come in and and under the cover of darkness, usually in the middle of the night. And Jewish, Catholic, Lutheran, these religious charities are paid sometimes upwards of $2,500, we'll say per group, to pick up these group of refugees. And they're taken to process centers within the airport. Some can't even speak English. But but here's the, the crazy part about this, is the majority of them, they don't speak English. They have no paperwork. No one knows they. No one know who. No one knows who they are. And it's to the point where they're just classified as FUNUS, full name unknown. That's the acronym for, for FUNUS, acronym for full name unknown. And and that's. I mean, I've seen that in law enforcement usually associated with with you know deceased people. Um. Anyway. But what is taking place is these these people are qualifying or, or being set up for social security disability. If they've got a cough, um, you know, gee, how do you feel? Is your lower back hurt? Yes, okay. And, and how do they translate that? Sometimes there's a translator, sometimes there's not. But nonetheless, they are given social security disability, many of them. Almost all of them are given passports and bank cards, you know, I'm talking about the bank cards, the ATM-type cards that you use when you get when you go on welfare. They are classified. They, they when after their arrival, they're called clients for the purpose of uh, the resettlement. They're processed, and supposedly they're taken to these group homes set up by these charities, whether it be Jewish or Catholic or Protestant charities. Not vetted, none whatsoever, um, and and many times that they don't, they don't stay at these these group homes or charities. Sometimes they don't even make it there. They just go once they have their card, their cash card, and their passport, they're out of there. Now I did not do justice to this whistleblower in the video by Josh Tully, and and we've got nothing by the way nothing to uh, uh, gain by, uh, nothing to personally gain by 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 saying this, except to say that we all need to stick together. And here's why I mentioned this video in the context of what Joe was talking about, in the context of what we've been talking about. Josh said, hey, you know something? I've been getting email after email after email. This video has been disappearing. The links have been disappearing. The links, you can't open the links. It can't be posted or shared on social networking. It's virtually dead in the water. What's going on? And we looked at it and we did some investigation. And quite frankly, the censorship is in full force. Google is censoring uh, this video, other sites are censoring this video. Now, as we. For What? what? racism well, and immigration no no no, no it's 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 you know it, it's even more insidious i believe than that it's the, there are no charges of racism here there, no, there are I no, know. you know it is it, they, they don't want this information getting yeah. out and this is the battle which in which we fight this is why when we talk about stuff like this we say would you please subscribe to our youtube channel it's not for the numbers the numbers are wrong anyway and, and nobody really pays attention to the numbers anyway it's because once you subscribe, well, it, in a sense it is for the numbers because it does, uh, when, when you strike at a larger target, of course, it does make a little bit of a difference and more people see it. And, but, but that aside from that, I mean, economically, the numbers don't make any difference. Um But so, so Josh was really concerned about this, and, and we spoke for a long time. I said, you know, and, and we looked at the tags. And by the way, the, the censorship is using algorithms, and and they're picking out the, uh, if you use the word Trump in the tag uh, of a video or of of an article, if you use the word or any objectionable word, and I mean there's pages upon pages Mm -hmm. upon pages of these words, any word in the title, not only do they demonetize videos, but they will send them into oblivion. You can't even, on YouTube, you can't even use the tag ISIS, Islam. Correct. They'll demonetize your video right away. Right. That's right. And now they're developing this uh voice recognition and I'm not even sure it's voice recognition, but it's it's recognizing words like Islam, Muslim, ISIS, uh terrorism. And because they leave certain signatures, uh certain I do not I don't I don't Eric would know what they're called, but you know, the the wave things on the on the the audio waves. So anyway. The reason I bring this up is, please, number one, share this video because number, number one, the, the, the information in here is is tremendously important. But secondly, understand that this censorship has already begun. It, it's, we, you can expect from this day forward, the war to be really raging against us, against all of the truth tellers, and soon trust me when I tell you this and I was talking to Steve Quayle on this today they were they are going to criminalize in the United States they're going to criminalize our speech much like Europe much even like Canada they will say you cannot say for example um, you can't talk about Islam you cannot talk about uh, refugees It, it will be a hate speech crime I don't know. You don't. You don't think I don't well, believe what a good you said? Uh,
3: using these words in any way online, whether it's in articles or YouTube videos, they'll demonetize it. They will uh, put it to the bottom of the the search yes. the functions. They will, and then they'll uh, criminalize it. I, see, I don't see that. How can they? I mean, okay. Are you serious? No, I'm serious. Mike we have the First
1: Amendment, and I don't, I mean, it, it, the First it. Amendment, who's gonna, who's are, gonna, are you serious? The First Amendment in this country basically is that when you've got, when you push the, the, uh, uh, when you push protesters, agree with them or disagree with them? I don't care. I'm not talking about the, the riot people that throw the Molotov. I'm talking right. about people with the He's signs. Yeah, when you push them over into a pen seven blocks from the president, or, or you neutralize them by way of proximity. Where in the hell is free speech in this country? We don't have free speech anymore. And you might say, well, that's a, that, that's really an odd thing for you to say. I'm listening to you, uh, b- bitch, uh, uh, about free speech and uh, saying that we don't have it anymore. I just got like five looks over from people everywhere. <laughs> well, see, I
3: can see the internet being cut off before they okay. even criminalize uh, free but, speech. Well, I, I just don't see the, I just don't see, I just don't see it.
1: I, 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 look, look, look. I mean, I understand
3: exactly what you're saying.
1: When, when it comes to the point, and, and, and folks, hear me well. When it comes to the point, and How would they even enforce it? Let me ask you a question. How do you get sued for... I'm not going to go there. No, I know what you're saying. I, I understand what you're saying. Because I, I, I'm under the point right now where, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. But I look at my children... Yeah, you included. And my grandchildren. And I think if I don't do something, then who in the heck is going to do anything? I don't have anything to lose. Trust me when I tell you, I, I have nothing to lose. I don't, I don't have a, I don't, I don't have, I don't have anything to lose. So let me tell you something. That's really when you got when you don't have anything to lose, and you get most dangerous person, and you get you get poked in the in the chest with a stick or a finger. I I, I don't like people poking me in the chest with a finger. That, that that's no no no. Okay, I need a I need a five foot perimeter around me at all times. But anyway, you see, all of us, we together as a Christian community and as a conservative Christian community. We have to stand together, or we will indeed hang separately. And that's not just a tr- trite saying; that's the truth. We have to band together. You know, if we don't talk about Michael Savage, seventy-four-year-old talk show host, conservative being pushed to the ground and his dog kicked, if we don't, if we don't say, I, "I'm standing up for Michael Savage," and that's not right. And I, I will stand next to him. I'll stand beside him. I will back him up one hundred percent. Then shame on us if we don't stand be- beside Dave Doabenmeyer when he's when he's out there protesting the the murder mills, the, the these so called clinics that. That kill unborn babies, that murder unborn babies with impunity if we're not standing shoulder to shoulder with him or backing him up who who will? yeah, you can sit at home knit your scarf, knit your blanket plant your turnips okay type on your keyboard, thank you and, and yip, 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 yip and complain and say, you know, you're not really much of a Christian but God forbid you get your, you get in the battle. God forbid you, you put your butt out there on the line and say, yeah, I'm going to stand next to him. I'm going to stand next to Dave Daubenmire. I'm going to stand up for Michael Savage. I'm going to stand behind next to Alex Jones. We have to stick together. And Josh Tully being his video being banned yeah we're going to talk about it and not only are we going to talk about it we are going to spread it and you know something you push we're going to push back you push harder we're going to push back harder you bring a knife we're going to bring a gun you bring a gun we're going to bring a flamethrower okay a tank i don't care we're going to do whatever, reason. whatever we can. Yeah, yeah, I know that's that's bravado and talk and bluster, but see, that's the spirit. Because Christians for too long have been pushed around, and what you brought up earlier—why hasn't there been a Christian? Why haven't the Christians said, "Hey, wait a minute, enough"? Okay, you you, you want to play the games with lawfare? Let's okay, let's rock. Well, at some point you are going to have to, or else you are going to be
3: uh, pushed into oblivion. If these people don't right. start standing up for themselves, that's right.
1: And I don't. I look. I don't want to just seem like I'm ranting because it. It. it There's a lot of news. You had the SCOTUS uh, hearings today. You had the Senate Intelligence Committee hearings today. What did we learn? I, I watched. I watched the Senate Intelligence hearings from ten o'clock to three fifteen, uh, minus the ten minute pee break that uh, you know the uh, uh, Comey had to take. You'll never get that time back. Uh, yeah. And what I learned? I, I learned that no comment. I, I learned absolutely nothing I learned that the system is broken that's what I learned because it flies in the face i mean yeah how much and i i i i saw the frustration of of um of trey Gotti. and and look I don't know if Gotti's a good guy or a bad guy i mean I know what is reported but I don't know if what's in his heart i just i don't know but I could tell he was frustrated but here's Comey Making comments, in my view, making certain comments that implicate Donald Trump and backing off comments. I mean, the linguistic games mm-hmm. that were taking place, the game of words. It was, it was exquisite to see. Not, and I'm not saying that in a good way. Well, it's crazy. I, I mean, to, yeah, they
3: came out, even though we know, um, and last week, we didn't really talk about this last week, Sean Spicer had a press conference where he cited newspaper and media articles detailing the wiretapping of Trump, the FISA, um, warrants that were denied. And then the one that was, um, given to them on Trump tower to a Russian bank. We know that, uh, Flynn had his conversations monitored those con- the the content of those conversations were leaked, and that could not have happened unless somebody was listening in and recording these conversations. But they come right out and and lie and say, "Oh yeah, there was no, no evidence of Obama wiretapping Donald Trump's phones." It,
2: it, so they play tiptoe the game through the there.
1: tulips, right? Tiptoe through the the lexicon mm-hmm. of, of the language. It's just oh, right. We're gonna we're gonna parse this just right. But we already know it's true. We already know that the
3: uh, either the Obama administration or somebody under uh or in the Obama administration, whether it's the DOJ, FBI, absolutely wiretap Trump and his uh, his uh team before during and during the election because we know there have been leaks of those conversations that have come out. You can't get the details of a phone conversation after the fact. You have to be listening to be able to get transcripts like that. We know that the, the New York Times on January 20th read an article, a uh, data inquiry used in, in wiretap claims right. uh, against Trump. We had the FISA warrants. We know there were surveillance on the Trump campaign, and they're saying, yeah, Obama didn't wiretap Trump's phone. But the Obama administration surveilled Trump and his team before and during the election. But they're using, as you said, a word game to get around that. And they're so that's quick right. to, to say that, you know, oh, that's a lie, Trump needs to apologize. And I see people saying, "Oh, he needs to be impeached." He well, was given information about the, the wiretap, about the wiretaps, about the surveillance, and he put it out there on a tweet. There was no crime, there was no lying. There's, n- it's all craziness. And then to bring up this Russia stuff, Comey comes out, and when asked about the what was it, the wiretap claims, he says, oh, I, "I can't comment on ongoing investigations, and I won't comment on, on the the wiretapping because that would hint that there is an investigation going on." then asked, what about the uh, Russia collusion and hacking into the elections? Well, I can comment on that because it's a special circumstance. We're investigating collusion between Russia and Trump. Right. Which, and every other this, question, no the
1: comment. MSNBC there's talking no about the cloud.
4: Right, exactly. There's
1: no evidence. The cloud, no. the suspicion, oh, this is not good for... But see, didn't we tell you months ago the, uh, the, that the key here was to... To cast doubt on the legitimacy of the elections and, and mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Where did you hear that before? Now they're saying that this has been the case, or this is the, this really is the case. But but they're, they were talking about this cloud of suspicion on MSNBC. That's their their phrase of the
3: week. My goodness, you can't watch CNN or MSNBC for five minutes without seeing stories about. Um, you know they bring on all these brain dead pundits and and you know paid talking heads and uh, you know liberal reporters. Oh, yeah, where there's smoke, there's, there has right, to be fire. Right. Where's the evidence? Well, we don't have any actionable evidence, but we, we can prove there's deception going on, and that's enough to, to start an investigation. That's enough for us. Um, and we've talked about this all, all last week between the wire, them asking for proof of Trump's tweet on surveillance on his that's campaign. Right. That's right. They want all the proof right away, right now. But when it comes to, the proof they're talking about Russia hacking our elections, what did Russia hack? They didn't hack our election system, our election system's not online the The machines are not online, and how did they unduly they influence the outcome? Oh, by putting out fake news and uh, you know Wh- when Whit reporting this, yeah, now. when okay. Hillary Clinton got negative attention in the news media from uh, you know they promoted the the fake uh, email stories, and this is from the McClatchy article right. Um, that's correct, and, and you know it was all bots. Now, there's no bots on the left, but on the right, there's millions of these uh, Russian bots who, uh, <laughs> as soon as some negative story came out about Hillary Clinton that would throw all this pro-Trump out stuff out there and anti-Hillary stuff. We want to talk about interference in the elections. What about the 99.5% of news coverage that was anti-Trump from the time of the primaries until the election, until today? There you go. And it was all biased, and half of it was made up. But no, you don't hear about that. Um, would, there would there have been hearings in Hillary Clinton won? Hillary Clinton won. Would there be hearings into the mainstream medias, uh, you know, influencing the election? Of course not. No. Of course not. There's no investigation into her dealings with Uranium One. There's no investigation into Podesta's dealings with uh, lobbying for a Russian bank. That's right. But sure enough, Flynn talks about sanctions on, on Russia and the Russian bank, and he gets thrown out. Well, he lied to, to the vice president, so I can see that. That's your exact, It's not about yeah. him talking with Russia. Yeah. It was about him yeah. lying to the vice president. There's no criminal charges there. There's nothing criminal that any it, it, law enforcement agency can act on.
1: That reminds me of of Clinton. It wasn't about oral sex in the Oval Office. It was about lying about, right. lying you know, under oath about right. that. Okay, same thing. But, oh, how many people will misrepresent that? It, 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 the same could be said for Watergate, but, okay, but millennials are saying, well, what's that? You know, but anyway. But Edward
3: Snowden even came out today um, weighing in after uh, Comey testified on Russian interference. Uh, and he talked about the FBI and the House Intelligence Committee today. Uh, former NSA contractor said he noticed a red flag as the two men took questions from Congress members about leaks of classified information into the press. A red flag. NSA director careful to discuss only who can unmask USP identities and reporting, not who can access collection involving usp snowden tweeted monday how many communications in which at least one participant is american are being held by the nsa he's talking about the uh, the dragnet spying right. by the well, let me, nsa on american citizens okay and saying that you know what comey said how you know this wasn't the case there was no surveillance he's saying
1: yes there was surveillance not only of donald trump but of everybody else exactly and that's what we have to remember uh and the other thing too just two very quick things uh, karen thanks for the email um that uh, escaped me from what you was going to answer that question, oh uh, about uh, foreign intelligence services doing this spying very true that that is uh, there's a double there's a redundancy built into the spying. believe me when I tell you that there there's a redundancy built in, and that does include if g c h q and even m i six and the real question should be where is the investigation into the
3: the leaks of classified information from the White House and from uh, there you go. That is real that's, that's that's the crime. real crime. That's an actual crime. That's exactly can prosecute right. prosecute the five to ten years in jail per
1: leak. You're exactly right. And the other but thing, no. Trump and Russia. Well, the, well, the other thing mentioned today was they made a lot of noise, meaning there was a lot, a lot of digital noise in the break-in. Let me tell you something: hackers are not going to do that. In other words, uh, Comey said they they didn't care, meaning Russia didn't care if anyone knew that they were hacking. Are you kidding me? They're not going to leave a digital fingerprint or footprint in the. uh that, That's that's misdirected attribution we talked about that last week
3: all right till tomorrow stay safe god bless have a great evening